Batman. Good luck, Harry Potter. Well, cover me with eggs and flour and bake me for 40 minutes. Hello, and welcome to Screen Masters with me, Bav. Me, Flo. And today on the show, we are going to be looking back at the early X-Men films, continuing our sort of early superhero, early naughty superhero uh, thing that I got myself on after the Spider-Man episode. Um, but first, as always, we need to do the admin, and I'm not turned to the right page, so bear with me a second while I turn it to the right page in my book. There we go. So... Uh, if you want to join in the conversation, you can go to facebook.com forward slash screenmasters and leave us a message there, post on anything we put there, comment on it, whatever it is. Um, or you can contact us on Twitter at the SM underscore pod or twitter.com forward slash the SM underscore pod. Uh, if you want to look back under any, uh, over any of the video stuff we've done, you can go to bit.ly forward slash bite back YT. So, oh, I've not done my words. So, let me just do the words then. That should have come first. You see, this is the problem. This is why I have a script that I totally left somewhere else while we were doing that. Um, so, today I'm going to be turning to the words of George Michael and saying, Heaven knows, I was just a young boy. I didn't know what I wanted to be. I was every little hungry schoolgirl's pride and joy. And I guess that was enough for me. To win the race, a prettier face, brand new clothes and a big fat place on your rock and roll TV. But the way I play the game is not the same, no way. I think I'm going to get myself happy. It's another one from Always Sunny. If yeah, realize. it's the high school reunion, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah. That that sequence tickled me quite a lot. Oh, I can imagine. But, uh, both that. both the, uh, the the put up, uh, you know, dance routine, and then the realistic version of it. Yes, quite. That's it. I was laughing enough already at the uh, at the good version, and then when it actually comes back to reality, I uh, yeah, I pissed myself even more at that. But there we go. So. Before we get into our main topic, then, let's go through any news and bits and pieces that we want to discuss. Over to you to start us. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, I mean, we'll just quickly, briefly mention in the news, obviously, a lot of things are being pushed back more and more now. It's becoming commonplace for us to go week by week and find out another project has been moved back or, you know, shooting has been postponed. Um, so it's just an inevitability at this point, you know, uh, no Bond this year, which... Again, you know, we, yeah, we... we were going to do a Bond episode in a couple of weeks to tie in with the release again, attempt to tie in with the release in November. Yep. Yeah, okay, that's not happening anymore. Even other films such as like Dune, which obviously we'd only recently seen a decent trailer for, yeah. again, that's been pushed back as well. Most things are, because the world is just not yeah. stable enough uh, for them to be releasing these. Obviously, I've heard little bits of conversations about uh you know the bond film possibly ending up on a streaming site that there have been conversations they're obviously reluctant to do it because you know financially they're going to get more out of the box office than they would yeah. out of streaming but at this point you know depending on how long you leave it how long can you leave a film in the can and not release it uh you know it's 
it's only going to date. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, the world is, is shaking up enough as it is. Uh, you know, the, the entertainment industry is following suit. Um, that's that's pretty much that. I mean, there's been a few announcements on uh, castings and things like that. But as I say, it can all rapidly change in the next, uh, you know, few months with everything going on. So absolutely. I mean, I read the um, I mean, on the Bond thing, I think I read something like they wanted 600 million mm. to, from a streaming service to do it. And Apple TV was their last hope and they wouldn't give them that sort of money. Mm-hmm. Obviously, things might change as the more it goes on, like you say. But yeah, I also read that uh, Shang-Chi and the, the Legend of the Ten Rings or whatever its uh, footnote is had, had wrapped filming. And I thought, oh, brilliant. But what where, what are you going to do with it? Mm-hmm. You've got two other films to release before that, mm-hmm. haven't you? Mm-hmm. I, just, I mean, everything's just going to wait, isn't it? And then are we just going to get a glut of every blockbuster film that should have released over the last two years? This or is the thing. You, uh... Are they going to space them out more? But surely at some point you've got to stop making as many films if you're back to making them now. Yeah, which is uh, which is half the problem. But again, you know, whether um, don't know where Disney is all this coming from, but obviously their, uh, you know, so their Marvel model for their TV shows is pretty much going to going to restore some of the, you know, some of the lack of faith in in the Marvel projects from this year because we've not had any. Yeah, that's At it. The, the TV production still seems to be going strong. We've had yep. the second season of The Boys and Star Trek Discovery and the uh, second season of The Mandalorian premiered the other day. So, yeah, we've there's a lot of TV stuff on its way. Yeah. So, yeah, like you say, hopefully those, those Marvel shows will rekindle the fan base, hopefully. I mean, we know, obviously, of, of the three which are essentially been shot and, and done to most degrees at this point, which is Wanda, uh, Falcon, uh, and Winter Soldier, uh, and Loki. So we know that they've been shooting those quite substantially for quite some time now. So the, the closer we get to certain things, maybe they'll fill the gap in, in the meantime. Um, yeah. it, it was lovely this week, as you say, to, to have a nice new Star Trek episode one day and then uh, a new Star Wars episode the next day. So I can't complain at the moment. You know, TV entertainment-wise, it, it's pretty sterling. So. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, um, well, I so, yeah. had a couple of little bits of news that I'd read. Um, obviously, I'm... Uh, we may have mentioned on the pod before, um, for all my sins, I I, I, <laughs> I have a thing for the Resident Evil movies. Oh, and yeah. I have just... Uh, I read uh, some weeks ago that they are going to reboot them mm. which kind of upsets me in a way because i'm sure they're going to leave paul ws anderson out of it but at the same time that probably means we'll get a better film that's actually closer to resident evil well it's um, uh gonna be a tv series on netflix isn't it oh is it from what i've read this I'm sure I'm looking at was saying it's uh that it's a movie reboot but obviously that that can all change i'd read it was a netflix tv reboot but it was with the scope of potential film, TV, and anime. So take take that what you will. I mean, the anime stuff's always been good, sticking to the storyline anyway. But well, it's like CG anime. It's not true mm. anime. But I am trying to find the name of the girl who's been cast because I cannot remember her name. She was Ghost in Ant-Man and the Wasp. 
Oh, uh, yes. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, the, actress the actress's name escapes me. But yeah, she's been in yeah. quite a number of things. She's very good. Yeah, um, she's awesome. That's why yeah. I wanted to mention it, because like her as like Jill Valentine or Claire Redfield or something, that, that could really work. Um, rather than introducing a character that never existed. But, no, I can't find it. Oh, there we go. Uh... Oh, wow. Okay, I'm glad I found the name now. There's no way I'm going to pronounce that correctly. So, Kaya Scodelario, I think, is supposed to be playing... Oh, no, Hannah John Kamen. That's the one I'm thinking of. So, Hannah yeah. Scodelario was going to uh, play Redfield, and Ant-Man and the Wasps, Hannah John Kamen, will play Jill Valley. I was going to say, that's that's definitely... Like, that should that should work. Um, I also saw a trailer for... Um, Lord of the Rings Gollum. Yeah, the game. A game. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay. you get to play Gollum throughout an entire game. I'm Yay? Mm, <laughs> mm, I'm a bit like, mm, I got really you... excited to start with because mm. I was like, oh, is this the Amazon Lord of the Rings thing that they've been talking no. about? And then was like, no. oh, no, no, it isn't. However, I did then stumble across the Amazon teaser trailer for the Invincible animated TV show based on the comic book Invincible. Yes, yes, that's like at the beginning uh, of October. That looks very good. It does. I Again, need to reading it quickly, but uh, it does look I, very good. I'm I'm buying them for you each birthday and Christmas when I can. So I know, you know, give me a chance. I know. I've got three there to read. I'm looking up now. I've still got three to read. I'm working my way through the Expanse book that you lent me. Uh, no, <laughs> that you told me to buy. I'm yeah. not on the second one yet that you've lent me. But I'm about third of the way through Leviathan Wakes at the minute. Good lad. Yeah, it's um, good. It is very, very, very good. Obviously, slightly off topic, but you know, it's still yeah. the expanse. It works. It's fine. Yeah, it's still, still the same. Uh, so yeah, in terms of what I've watched now, I've been fortuitous in that I've had a couple of weeks off work again, which has been lovely. Uh, and I also bought myself a nice shiny uh, fifty-five inch TV. So mm-hmm. I've taken the opportunity to kind of watch a few things here and there. Uh, and yes, it does make a massive difference uh, from a forty to a fifty-five inch TV quite a bit of a difference in entertainment um watching you know some of the new stuff like mandalorian and, and star uh trek on this big bastard uh in 4k oh i've been missing out um but i'll, I'll do a quick rundown because I've, I've had a good chunk of time over the last couple of weeks to watch a bunch of stuff so i'll quickly nip through most of that um just to kind of pick it up so I watched a bunch of uh, foreign films on Netflix. Uh, one was The Grandmaster. Another in the kind of Ip Man uh, yeah, tales. Yeah, when I was looking around at the Ip Man stuff. Yeah, so it kind of uh, it, it deals with Ip Man and, again, a different aspect of his life where he interacts with uh, a Grandmaster from the North. Um, this is before the war and then interacts with his... Uh, the, the Grandmaster's daughter, who he'd had a, a battle with uh, prior to the war. So there's there's a weird storyline there. Very, very enjoyable. Um, uh, Zhang Ji, uh, she'll have, you'll probably have noticed her from uh, a few things. I think she was in Crouching Tiger. Yeah, she's she's very good in it. Um, again, you don't see many strong female roles in some of these, uh, you know, some of these martial arts ones. And it is very much kind of, uh, you know, she's the strongest fighter by the looks of things. So that was that was a, an interesting film. Um, I also watched uh, a film uh, which was called Shadow, uh, another uh, kind of Chinese production. Um, it was it was a weird one. It's about a guy who poses as kind of the 
the general of this small uh, Chinese uh, providence, and uh, he, he's kind of playing his double. Uh, and it's it's very interesting, actually. Uh, it wasn't your traditional kind of martial artsy film. There is a little bit more to it, uh, a bit of romance in there as well. Again, uh, you hear music in some of these films, and I've never seen some of the instruments played when it comes to uh, you know Eastern films. Uh, and they do. They play a couple of instruments in there, and just the severity and, and how they play it is absolutely fantastic. I've never seen that before myself in in films, so that was a really cool thing. The the uh, you, you, you'll you'll know it when you hear it. Kind of those, you know, tropes of of say Chinese cinema. Very very enjoyable. Uh, and one other one, um, which was I thought was probably the best one out of all of them. Um, it seemed to be the most recent one, uh, and it was called Double World. Uh, and it's about a young uh, guy and, and a couple of others with him from their providence who go to uh, a tournament uh, which selects warriors to you know go against the you know great armies and stuff like this. Very interesting story. Um, again, a decent budget behind this one. Uh, there's some scenes like straight out of Gladiator, you know, kind of pulling back, uh, you know, from this arena, uh, and it looks fantastic. And I'm not sure it does, certainly does feel like there could be a sequel to it. Um, but again, very, very enjoyable. I just went on a bit of a foreign film binge for a few days. Uh, there were a few more, but these are the kind of three uh, that of note which I kind of picked up on. Uh, other than that, I've been caning my way through Bob's Burgers, which I'd uh, taken an interest in because I love. Uh, Bob Benjamin from uh, sorry John uh, Johnny Ben Benjamin from uh, Archer, which just restarted its its latest series again. Archer is another show which I'm surprised you haven't got to at this point. It's so so very good, and so yeah, I started on Bob's Burgers. I'm about halfway through. I'm about four or five seasons in. A very enjoyable, uh, not to everybody's taste. I can understand, uh, but again, if you're familiar with a lot of the voice actors, then you'll enjoy it. Uh, and aside from the weeklies like Mandalorian, Star Trek, Discovery has been freaking amazing. Uh, and, oh, we can't talk about it because you've not watched it yet. Never no, mind. I will get there. I'm, I'm get on there. the boys at the minute. Yeah. Uh, so, again, the boys. I have watched Mando gone. episode one. That was yeah. fantastic. I loved that episode. Uh, and I've also had the chance to watch uh, Truth Seekers, which is the new uh, show from... Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. So that's oh, yeah, like an eight, eight, trailer for eight that episode one. one. Um, you know, surprisingly, I'm not, as you know, I'm not a fan of horror and all that kind of ilk. Uh, but I found uh, an enjoyment in this, mainly because it's Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, and I'm confident in what they are going to put uh, forward. Excuse me. But a very enjoyable, actually. Uh, eight, eight episodes in, and I'm like, okay, they're, they're clearly leaving it open for a second season. Um, uh, yeah, I won't say too much on that because I fear it's, it's a show that you will probably watch as well, knowing mm -hmm. the, the guys behind it. And so that's kind of been me. I've been watching a lot of other stuff as well, but that's kind of the, the, the hit list for me. How about you? Fair enough. Uh, like I say, I've, just, uh, I've been trying to get back uh, through the boys, so I'm cracking on uh, getting getting through that. Um, I did, I, I, I watched a couple of episodes yesterday and I had to watch something else afterwards. I couldn't just watch another episode because sometimes the boys is so dark and so mm. horrible and so nasty mm -hmm. that I actually just need time away from it mm. before I can come back and watch another episode. I struggle to binge it. 
Um, but I obviously I had the Mandalorian, so I went and watched the Mandalorian. I thought that episode was incredible. I loved mm. all the little Easter eggy bits. Ah, and yeah. There was some incredible stuff in there, and I'm a big fan of Tim Oliphant anyway. And yeah, like loved as soon him. as soon as he turned up, and I was like, he's he's playing a marshal. Is yeah. this Deadwood? This is, that's that's just, it. I was yeah. like, I bet this is a Deadwood thing that they yeah. were like, oh yeah, we got to get Tim Oliphant in and get him to do a Western voice and stuff. Uh, um, again, seeing Amy Sedaris at, right at the start as well was absolutely fantastic. I was like, how, how, how are you going to have him go to Tatooine? He's going back to a friend. And I was so yeah. happy to see her as well. Uh, yeah, and, it was good. Um, but yeah, and, and again, there, there was loads of cool stuff there, like the, the, the way he's changed slightly. You know, he's starting to change as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, you see that in that very first sequence on, on the planet when he lands with the, the pit droids. And it's, you know, just a throwaway yeah. sort of thing. You don't think anything of it, but it, it's showing that character development. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's show, not tell, which is, which is the way you want it, really. Um, um, yeah, and I suppose the other bit, the other cool bit was the uh, the Marshall's speeder, land speeder was the other bit that got me. A cross between a speeder and a pod racer. Well, yeah, but, but it was one of the engines off Anakin's pod. That's what I mean. Yeah, it was it was a cross so, between. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's cool. Because again, why wouldn't that be the case? That mm-hmm. junk could be lying around, wouldn't it, on that planet? Mm-hmm. So of course that might happen. It's awesome. I, I, I think it, they, they implement stuff in the best way. And I, again, now knowing how they do their, their sort of green screen, as we've discussed in a previous episode, mm-hmm. it looks so good. Mm-hmm. The production value is incredible on it. And mm-hmm. I, sometimes I can't tell when I'm watching CG and when it's a... Well, it's not CG. That's the point, isn't it, I suppose? It's because they're using those massive screens to display an actual vista that they've taken a shot of. So you don't, it's a real thing anyway, but it's so good. It looks like a set and you're like, no, they can't have actually built this massive set. I know they can't have. So it must be on the screen, but it just looks so good that I, they, they really know what they're doing uh, with, with the stuff to give it the right values to, to meet a Star Wars show. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, a Star Wars show could be smaller budget than the films and all that. And it mm-hmm. just, wouldn't ever look as good, but they they've done an incredible job with it. Well, I mean, after the reception of the of the first season uh, and the success that it inspired, and the you know the various things that are coming out of this series, potentially possible spin offs and things like that, you know, it's, it's perhaps been the most successful Star Warsy thing that we've had in quite some time. Uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. in terms of, I'm not necessarily going to say financially because you know it's, it's different, obviously, uh, but in terms of critical uh and fan praise can't fault it no exactly um but yeah so i'm yeah. getting back and to it at the end I, of the uh, you know what one of the things i just pick up on is is your comment about the boys actually mm. um this is the thing that loads of people as soon as they kind of announced the first two or three episodes that i didn't realize at the time that they were going to go weekly uh, which they did and and loads of people were a bunch of crybaby bitches online saying uh, this show sucks. I'll wait until the whole thing is done. Why are you saying the show sucks and then you're going to watch it when it's done? Yeah. It was all these stupid ass comments that which cracked me up. But I originally was a bit like, hmm, they're, they're not giving me the whole series all in one. And as week by week, went, week by week went on, 
I actually found an appreciation for the fact that A, I had something to look forward to on a weekly basis, which hasn't always necessarily been the case during lockdown. Um, it's been pretty boring week on week in terms of entertainment. Um, so it was nice to see that. But also, as you said, there's a lot of heavy shit in some of those episodes. And it was nice to actually take a week from when the you know end scene of certain episodes won't say much because I'm sure we will pick up uh, and review the whole series at some point. But when we hit certain ends of episodes and we get reveals of certain things, it takes a while to digest some of that. To run into the next episode, I think, is a being a bit... I mean, I understand the need for, for bolt watching, but to kind of stew and mull on the information that we've just had of characters and story and stuff like that, I actually think they made the right choice, I've got yeah. to say. Yeah, no, I, yeah, obviously I wasn't watching it as it was coming out, but definitely I... Like I say I, I need a break between certainly the couple of episodes I watched yesterday. I was like, no, I got, I got. Yeah, I can imagine whereabouts you are when you yeah, say yeah. that. Um, but yes, obviously I will get through it because it's, uh, it, you know, it is a show I enjoy. It's just again, I think back to the comic books, and when I read the comic books, there were gaps in me reading them because even mm. the comic books I remember being not hard work, but you know, they they are dark and fucking horrible mm. sometimes. And there was nasty. a lot, like you say, a lot of exposition, you know, Huey, uh, it, within the context of the comic book, say, going to see the legend who we've yet to be introduced to, to the TV series, um, whether he will or won't, I've got God only knows. But he go and see the legend who was, uh, for, for those who don't know, in the comic book, he is kind of the guy who wrote the comics for all of these heroes. So he's got a huge, vast knowledge of all of these superheroes and all the weird shit that they do. And there are literally issues where he's just talking, 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 the history of Vought and everything. So I remember going back, you know, having reread those. It was a challenge in places, definitely. Um, yeah. Very wordy. Um, but yeah, other than that, I think um, I, I will probably watch the, uh, the the Borat film is high on my list um, to, to see what the fuss is about on that one and whether it's up to his previous standards. Um, and then yeah, just waiting for, well, waiting for Tenet essentially. <laughs> just waiting for that to pop around so that I can actually watch it. But and then we can finally talk about it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I will keep my eye out for you, buddy. As soon as I see it, I will let you know. Yeah. So, yes, off the back of our Spider-Man conversation, um, a couple of weeks, well, a couple of episodes ago. I thought it might be nice to look back at where the X-Men started before um, Michael Fassbender and his dodgy accent and uh, Mr. McAvoy got involved. Obviously, I don't blame them for anything that happened in there. There was shit going wrong way before that. Oh, yeah. I think his name was Simon Kinberg. Basically, um, the one person I was going to say, yeah, aside from uh, the dirty diddler, uh, you know, Brian Singer. Um, yeah, Simon Kinberg is, is a huge fucking idiot. Um, so, yes, we thought it'd be nice to look back at the early ones um, and see how they stand up today. Uh, so, yeah, we go back to, I think it was 2000, the first one. Uh, uh, it was 2000, yep. So and that was X-Men in 2000. Now... 
I mean, obviously, I'll ask you how you uh, found going. Have you actually been back for this? Uh, I watched. I didn't watch. I, I didn't watch the first one. I watched X two uh, mainly because it's such a fantastic film. Uh, fair enough. Um, fair enough. There are issues. Yeah. The, I'd be interested to. Yeah. There's issues. Uh, obviously, being the X Men fan amongst our peer group, um, you know, be, being the biggest X Men fan, you know, look, look at my comic book collection. That would probably prove that. I had a lot of issues with the early films for a number of reasons, um, and I will never sit here and go, "Oh yeah, that was great," and that was great. And the thing is, is that it was, you know, the X Men films came at an early point, and in many respects with such a huge cast and a huge number of members to the X-Men, I was very surprised when it came out that it was one of the first one because you're tackling not just one or two individuals, you're tackling a huge group of people trying to put as much story time into all of them, give them enough screen time, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> it was always going to be difficult. Um, but again, that's me being a critical X-Men fan. Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Um, I've always loved the opening of the first X Men, um, starting in the uh, with Magneto in the concentration mm. camp as a child uh, and bending the gates and things. I've always loved that. Um, obviously, this one is mostly about Rogue and sort of her origin and stuff. I, I mean, I blame True Blood for the fact that I can't stand Anna Paquin these days because that really showed me how crap an actress she is and then going back and watching this I was like oh god oh she's really not very good is she I'd forgotten um I don't mind her as rogue but I, yeah going back I just wish they'd got a better actress in really but there you go I you know she was the one they wanted at the time um I love the um I think they do really well as well setting the scene of the X-Men because we've, you know, the X-Men has always been about um, a division and, mm -hmm. you know, hatred and things like that. You know, the mutants are one thing and it's always been, as far as I'm aware, an allegory for, you know, other problems in the world, be it racial, be it, um, you know, be it, uh, you know, what country you're born in. Mm -hmm. and well, That's racism, isn't it? Um, yeah, or sexual sex, preferences, or all of that. Anything. It's been an allegory for whatever's popular at the time, or whatever's you know in vogue at the time. I suppose I would yeah. say, but it's always worked really well because it can apply to any time period. You know, there's always some sort of bubbling tension between two sets of people, and you're either one or you're the other, and you fall into one of those camps. Um. But the they sort of begin with Gene explaining to everyone and, you know, trying to explain about the mutants and are the mutants really bad? Well, you know, mutants can kill people with very little uh, thought and, you know, they could just kill you if they didn't like you. Well, yes, but in the same way a human could do that. They could run you over in a car and kill you. So, you know, that it makes the points quite well very early in the film. And obviously that then leads us to our first uh, introduction to the the you know, our acting chops for this film. And Ian McKellen and uh, Patrick Stewart, I, I could watch them all day, <laughs> I think. They're just so good. 
like the lines aren't even particularly amazing they're a bit sort of i don't want to say pretentious but you know they're a bit flowery but they just they're such pissing good actors that they just get it across um and i i love them in that role um so we then get rogue ends up where logan is and we get our first introduction to to logan and obviously you know christ where the character of logan ended up after this is insane you know when you think about all the films that he's appeared in regardless of whether they were his own vehicle or whether it's the new class or first class or whatever mm-hmm. and days of future past and all that sort of crap um it's a shame Sabretooth didn't go the same way, but there you go. Um, that's uh, that's what happens when you get a wrestler in to play a, an actor, I guess. But uh, yeah. the thing is, they, Tyler Maine yeah. was his name, and I, yeah. I looked into him because I didn't. I knew he was a wrestler. Mm-hmm. I remember that from the mm-hmm. time, but I had no idea who he was. Apparently, mm-hmm. he was known as Big Sky in WCW yep. in WCW. the nineties. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay, that's why yep. I don't know then. And the thing is with, I mean, I, you know, knowing so much about the X-Men, you know, they went for a Sabretooth, which they tried to put a connection between he and uh, Logan without giving too much away um, in that respect. But then they shat the bed quite literally when they did the stupid Origins film, um, because it kind of contradicted this this entirely the kind of saber tooth that they went for was very much the animated cartoons version of saber tooth just this brute not very smart not really very uh wherewithal with everything just just a big meaty guy that's the base explanation they sort of, of went for done. look rather than anything else didn't yes they? yeah they wanted him to look the part yeah and unfortunately i think there's a little bit of that in this film generally mm-hmm. um you know you look at toad Ray Park is a, an amazing stunt actor, mm-hmm. an amazing choreographer, you know, uh, fighter, all that sort of stuff. Not not the best actor in the world, no. though, is he? No. That's why they um, didn't even let him yeah. say Darth Maul's five lines in The Phantom Menace, and they got yeah. Peter Serafinowicz in to do it instead. Um, it's. Um, however, it's... I'd still rather see Rebecca Romaine as Mystique than I would Jennifer Lawrence, because at least Rebecca Romaine stays true to the character and is Mystique most of the time. <laughs> Don't even get me started on the on the bridge between those. This is the problem for for me for a lot of the first few films. I was ingrained with the characters and the story more than I was the act uh, the acting in it. Um, Scott Marsden is shit as Cyclops. Does not does not do that character justice in any way, shape, or form. If you've read the X Men comics, you know how much of a an awesome leader this guy is this this guy is like a general and a general of earth when it comes to massive battles in the future of, of crossovers and the guy is is that fucking talented and, and inspires that much leadership this guy's just shat the bed famke jansen um who looked about 20 years older than her supposed husband um was also completely vacant um aside from trying to dye her hair she had nothing to offer to, Again, to they sort of just went for look, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, they and she didn't of... even look like fucking Jean Grey anyway. It was like, uh, okay. Well, like you say, they dyed her hair and were like, oh, there you go, you look like Jean Grey now. No, and terrible. Like, oh. Actually, because again, she wasn't great back in those days. I mean, no, she wasn't. Yeah, so the only thing I remember her from is Goldeneye. Well, exactly, and that was three years. And that was probably this. ten years before this. Yeah. Um, Halle Berry as Storm. 
I had no problem with her. Um, again, it was based on appearance. I, the problem for me is that they gave her an accent which kept going up and down all over the fucking place. So you never knew exactly where she was supposed to be based from. Um, yeah. Ground that a little bit, maybe. Rogue, we already know, was a shitty casting. They essentially shoved her in there for the case of the story instead of the character. Again, go back and read the comic books. I'm not always saying you need to stick to you know the, the history of, of where this stuff is coming from. But they kind of amalgamated the, the story of, of Jubilee uh, and Kitty Pride and their relationship with Wolverine. And they basically just superimposed Rogue into that place. It's so, it works so much better with the other two characters in the actual comic book. Putting Rogue here, it just didn't make any logical sense. Um, again, she's a lot tougher in the comic books than she is in, in, in on screen. Um, she's gone through some shit. She starts off as a villain before she even becomes a hero and just com- completely wasted. Just completely wasted. Yeah, I mean, it, it, which makes it even weirder when you then are going around the mansion, you get all the little Easter eggs for the X-Men fans of, you know, Jubilee sat in the background and Kitty Pride walking through a wall and Pyro sat there. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, why why didn't you use these characters then? Because like you say, that certainly a Kitty Pride has always been a young and, and slightly fragile uh, character to start with. Obviously, the more she goes on, the more stronger she gets. But mm-hmm. Rogue was always a strong a strong dominant character within the X-Men lore. Yeah, she has issues as a result of her upbringing. Uh, you know, she, again, they, the, the connection between her and Mystique in, in the comic books is that Mystique adopted her. So she's her adopted daughter. She still refers to Mystique as her mother in the comic books because of that very fact. And they have a very odd relationship, but it works. But again, the whole point of Rogue becoming a villain and stuff like that to begin with is because she's a strong person she's got issues the fact that she can't touch people and things like that is is her underlying thing which is why she needs xavier and, and the assistance there but as a character she's very strong and very driven this is just a whiny bitch version of rogue yeah uh, yeah absolutely know. like you say none of the traits that you would associate with the comic book character seem to have no. carried over she's just put in there to be our way in i guess you know as, as she learns about this stuff so do we but then actually you find that they do a better job of making logan the the audience as it as he starts to see bits of it because he becomes the cynic you know doubting what he sees uh, and mocking it like when he first meets xavier is oh what do they call you wheels um and and he's being us he he's the one doubting everything around him going on this this is all a bit nonsense isn't it Mm because again this was a different time this this was the early superhero stuff we weren't quite as open-minded to the big crazy you know universe altering storylines that that the mcu would bring in later years and even then the mcu started small and started ground level Mm -hmm. and slowly expanded as it it got bigger you know the avengers was the first real hey look we can do big massive storylines and then they took it forward from there with you know guardians doing a big massive storyline that's like a space opera that's it they started off uh you know doing individual films with individuals before they reached an ensemble whereas x-men went throw in with an ensemble even though most of the cast characters don't really fit that mold yeah or for me at the very least they do i mean i don't think they do a bad job of setting things up i mean it's sort of 30 minutes in we've got our cast members Mm -hmm. we know who they are 
and what their purpose is. Um, and I, I still think it was a good idea to leave Logan's backstory at this stage because mm. I think the whole thing could have got bogged down quite badly in, in Logan's backstory. And obviously he left that to be explored in the second film, which we will obviously get to. Um, yeah, here's my note about it. I just I, was like, I know Rebecca Romain. Rebecca Romain Stamos? Hmm. Yep. Not sure whether she's still married uh, to him. Uh, is not the greatest actress, but she's Ooh. still my preferred Mystique. Yeah, she, she did the role. Where, the thing is, again, with Mystique is she didn't have her talking that much. She was just a force to be reckoned with, which, again, very much in, in, in line with the comic book counterpart. Um, you know, she is a covert kind of person, and it, and it really fit until you suddenly get to the third one and then they just shot themselves in the foot again. Oh, but. yeah. Um, the station sequence I just wanted to um, to bring up, I, I still think that looks pretty good in the modern day because, again, as you start to watch some of these things, some of the CG stands out a bit badly and mm. stuff like that, but it's it, it, watching a, a sequence like that, it it really twenty years down the road still looks pretty good, and and for me that's the as we've discussed numerous times in numerous different episodes, it's that thing of practical effects versus the CG, and wherever you can do it practically, because it's still going to look good twenty years later because you actually blew up that cop car because you actually ripped open those doors, uh, you know because you actually had a, a proper set explosion go off to make mm. this happen because you actually dropped debris from the roof. You know, it's all that sort of stuff. If you can do it practically, do do it practically. Don't Michael Bay it. Although, to be fair, as he went on, at least, you know, he does start to do that. He does start to set the charges for the explosions and then CG the Transformers in afterwards. But, um, I, I, you know, I, I like that sequence. And again, you get the, the uh, Xavier and Magneto standoff. Um where he's got all the guns pointed at all the cops and he's trying to stop all the bullets. Again, it's just a little little window into the power that he actually has and how much he's holding back, I guess, you realise as the film goes on. You, know, like, he, you could be doing more than this and you're just not. Um, obviously, we get the, uh, the, the, the whole World War II uh, Jews and concentration camp uh, sort of bit that's you know alluded to in the first place comes full circle and is really nailed home a bit later. Um, I think they needed to do it. I don't know whether they needed to do it in quite such a heavy-handed manner, but you know I like the fact that they tie that back round because uh, there's the bit where he says they'll pass this law and they'll have you in chains with a uh, number burned into your forehead. Mm -hmm. Um so, and that's Magneto saying that because we've seen his experience of it in the past. And again, that's that's the way this particular movie goes with the whole mutants and not. And, you know, it goes down a sort of faintly religious, uh, you know, path with it. But it does apply to so many other things uh, when you do look at it. Like I say, it is an allegory for pretty much anything, that, any sort of division that you, you need to uh, to look at. Now. <laughs> I mean, Halle Berry, we know, is a decent actress. Mm -hmm. I, do, do you think they asked her to play it as a piece of pine furniture this time? Or 
I mean, the woodenness. I yeah. have never seen anything like this bad from her. Yeah. Not even they... in Die Another Day, which is a shit film, and she's yeah. crapping. Yeah. They basically went into this and said, okay, Storm is kind of uh, a reserved individual. She's intense in some respects, but she's very reserved and very thoughtful. They tried to do something with a character similar to the comic book counterpart, but failed in, in every respect of it. Which is why, as you see throughout the, the few X-Men films uh, that she's in, there is a natural progression. She does kind of get her voice a little bit. Like I say, her accent changes ever so slightly as well. Um, she improves. She, she does improve. But again, the, the problem with me for this is that... Um, Although the film looks shiny and pretty, uh, especially you know for the time it was, uh, the script is absolutely dog shit um, in terms of what a lot of the characters say. Like I say, the words coming out of Cyclops' mouth or Jean Grey's mouth uh, or Rogue because she's pathetic and store. The actual script is pretty shitty. The story I've got no major problems with. I still have problems with. Again, but I'm always going to nitpick because I'm, I'm, I'm an X-Men fan. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but um, the, the script itself, like you say, aside from the interludes between Patrick Stewart and, and Terea McKellen, which is just fantastic, but that's two great actors. You could give them, you know, uh, a Chinese menu uh, and get them to read it and they'd probably sound fucking enthralling. <laughs> uh, you know, that's the kind of shit that they do. That's, yeah, that's them. Um but again, this also got me the thing of, okay, I'm watching Captain Picard. It's not Captain Picard. That's Charles Xavier. And that, that was the thing. To get over that is, is a big thing for a, a Star Trek fan as well. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to get over that was quite good. Uh, but the, the script in terms of what the characters say is fucking atrocious in so many places. They, you know, they're a little bit... It's, Scott, there's Cyclops. one particularly famous moment that I've got written down that we'll come to. Yeah, uh, Cyclops, he's just a whiny little guy. It's like, yeah, okay, Logan's attracted to my missus, but guess what? If you had a bit of confidence in your missus, you wouldn't be worried so much. Uh, Jean is just not the very strong person that she is in the comic books. Confident, she's kind of like the heart and soul of, of the X-Men for for very many reasons. She's just pathetic here. It's like, oh, hi, Logan. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's like a damsel in distress, and not just for her husband, like yeah. it's for Logan as well. She's just like a damsel for everyone. She yeah. needs saving. And it's like, Giving, you're one of the uh, most powerful mutants on the planet, aren't you? And I mean, all right, you can argue that, that uh, well, it's early in her development, so she doesn't understand her full power yet. And fair enough, that's true to a degree, as, again, we see when we get to the second film. But mm. I just, like you say, yeah, I totally agree. There should She should be a bit stronger in her relationship mm. with Cyclops. I don't mind Wolverine playing off her, because there is a relationship between the two of them. But I don't, yeah. you know, and I don't mean a, a sexual relationship, but they have a, 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 they are friends, aren't they? I've always, you know, there's always been a, a sort of thing between uh, Gene and, and Logan, I want to say. Yeah, it's got to a very weird place now, but that's that's a conversation for another day with, okay. the, uh, with, with, with everything that's going on in the X-Men books now. There's a lot of... Let's let's just say there's a lot of questions going on between the various relationships with a lot of X-Men characters now. But that's a story for another day. Um yeah, it's uh you know, again, Logan is you know, Logan is the, the voice of the audience, uh questioning everything, uh, you know, wondering what this is all about. Uh giving Anna Paquin a bit of a southern draw did nothing. Uh Well, by the second nothing. film that's gone. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh hi, hi, no, it didn't just didn't work. 
that's like giving the guy in um, Wolverine Origins a bit of a Cajun twang, and it sounded fucking stupid. Just stop doing it. Like, just stop doing it for the sake of doing it. Uh, if if it's natural, that'll work. Yeah, get um, an actor who can do the accent if you want someone with the accent. Yeah, I've which got no you... problem with Gambit having a Cajun accent because he's from that area, is he not? So he would have a Cajun accent. But yeah. get someone who can do it. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't pick someone who looks right for the role, who's campaigning for the role, and then make them try and do the accent. Just doesn't uh, make any sense. X two, uh, you know that the casting of uh, of Alan Cumming as Nightcrawler, absolutely fucking spot on for so many oh, reasons. Yeah. That was spot on. Great actor, which I'd always thought, you know, loads of people, you know, misjudge the guy. I always thought he was a very good actor anyway. Um, yeah. I, I and he, his German accent is just for, again, I'm not German. So for all I know, the Germans could be, uh, you know, taking that quite offensively. But I thought his his take on that was fucking fantastic. Uh, but again, we'll get to X2 when we get to Well, there you go. Any German accent specialists at us that tell us what, uh, whether we're wrong <laughs> or uh, Nightcrawler. Um the villain in this one is a big part of why I, I still like it as well, I think, because he's a good, proper villain. He's got a point. Um, because at the early stage, he doesn't know that his machine will kill the humans. He just thinks it's going to make them all mutants. So he's like, well, if they're not going to tolerate us, why don't we make everyone the same and then we'll tolerate them? You know, everyone will be equal. Obviously, like I say, he doesn't know that his machine is actually going to kill the humans. He thinks it's going to turn them all into mutants. But it's it's that it's that that's why he works as a villain because he's willing to sacrifice Rogue for that greater good of bringing the whole world together as he sees it. Yes, under his control, probably, but <laughs> at least everyone will be equal, and there'll be no more of this division between mutants and non-mutants between religions, between this, that and the other. That's one of the reasons why I, I think Magneto is one of the best villains they've ever used. Um, and this is the best example of it because he has a point and his point works. It's like me and my daughter have discussed Thanos as a villain before. Thanos isn't wrong. The world is overpopulated. The universe mm-hmm. is overpopulated. The way he goes about trying to solve it is wrong. Mm. But the point that he's got isn't incorrect. Something does need to be done. Now, yes, clicking your fingers and wiping out half of the universe isn't the way to do it. But his point remains, and his point is valid. Um, Just flicking through, see what else I've got. Uh, So, bad bits. Toad's tongue looks shit Mm -hmm. and disgusting in the modern day. Um, however, when Mystique changes back and forth between different, like um, I'm uh, towards the end where they're having, she's sort of as, as Logan, and they're they're sort mm-hmm. of fighting as two Logans. That still looks really good, and I don't know how they how they will have done that. Um, I because I know hers was an actual skin makeup that was applied that I think they did with Jennifer Lawrence for the first one, and then by the time they got to her second one, she was insistent it'd be a bodysuit because she didn't want spend all that time in makeup but i don't know how they've done that and it it still looks really good today and like i say most of the stuff that still looks good in this is because it's been done practically so i'm just not sure how they've done that um and here we go 
we come to the worst line of dialogue ever delivered in the worst possible fucking way. Do you know what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? The same thing that happens to everything else. Mm-hmm. What? What What the actual fuck does that mean? That yeah. is the worst line of dialogue I've ever heard delivered in the most wooden fucking way by Storm and it doesn't make any fucking sense. It what was one the of fuck those, were they thinking? It was one of those throwaway lines that they can throw into the trailer or they can just have one of those, ooh, she said this, kind of, ooh, what a stinger kind of a moment. And it, it just fails uh, for, for a number of reasons. Again, the, the problem for me is that because I've gone in and I've watched the animated uh, X-Men cartoons, I know the badass that Storm is and the shit that she can do. You have a fly for all of like two seconds, which seems to take an incredibly... Uh, intense amount of of stress upon her because she's kind of like her whole body's like straining and I'm like yeah that's just not the way it is it's just a natural thing and and why isn't she doing this and why is she and and that was it it was uh, restrictions based on I don't know maybe the the CGI uh, restrictions and things like that but this is the this is this again goes back to my my thing earlier the the problem for me is that they picked a, an ensemble film with a lot of characters, with a lot of different powers. And and f- fundamentally for me, as much as I wanted to see an X-Men film, I would have liked to have seen an X-Men film uh, uh, which had had a which had had a bigger budget in in terms of like what we've got today, uh the CGI that we have today, the availability of things that we've got today because there's such an eclectic cast um of characters. I don't think they did it justice at this point. Uh I was happy that there was a, a some superhero film. But at the same time, I was also aware of the restrictions. Just watching it, I could see that right from the get-go. Yeah, I think you're right. It's uh, it will be very interesting to see what Marvel do when they. I mean, they've got their hands on the franchise, haven't mm-hmm. they? But what what they decide to do with it and how they decide to portray it. Um, just one bit of dialogue I will pick up that that always gets me that I quite enjoy is um when Wolverine, after his fight with Mystique when she's been looking like Wolverine and he goes back to the gang and back to Cyclops and Cyclops is going to shoot him. And he goes, Oh, it's me. And Cyclops says, prove it. And Wolverine just goes, you're a dick. Mm -hmm. And then Scott's like, okay, I like that. That worked for me. Um, Yeah. You could have easily had him like walk up and be like, "Uh, it's me, prove it. And then he just holds up his claw and it's just the middle one. The middle one. I've accepted that as well. Yep. Either or, either or. Um, And obviously we get, you know, because like you say, in terms of story, it's not too bad. We get the, 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 the rogue gets a little strip in the hair so that that, you know, gets the fans supposedly. (sighs) We get the payoff from uh, earlier being introduced to the fact that she can leech the powers and leeching Logan's powers will heal her, so that's mm. how she's going to survive this. Um, even get, basically, a happy ending. Everyone lives, even the baddies, apart from Senator, Senator Kelly. Kelly. He's the only one. Um, and then we go into, essentially, set up for X2. So Logan goes off to go and search Alkali Lake to see where his past lies and my final note is I could watch a whole film of Professor X and Magneto playing chess Mm. 
because that's the final sequence when they're playing chess in his plastic prison. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I could watch that forever. Because like you say, it doesn't matter. They could be reading the fucking phone book. Mm-hmm. I would be enthralled because they're that good. They can put emphasis into anything they need to. But yeah, that's... Uh, I I Looking back at the first one, I it's not as good as I think I'd remembered it. So I'm mm-hmm. pleased I went back and watched it again. I was much more aware of where the problems are starting to show now um as you say bits of the bits of the story i think are pretty good and hold up um but the dialogue particularly stood out to me as being just like you say ropey uh and and half of the actors and actresses just they they weren't quite good enough yet i guess to because again i like james marsden i think he's a good actor i don't think he's always a good actor you give him the right role with the right dialogue. And I mean, I'm thinking particularly of Westworld. He was in Westworld, wasn't he? He was um, in Westworld. Again, I, I didn't, liked him in that. I thought he was okay, but I would never, but, I, I never then, look at this guy and go, I think you know, you're. Superman. Yeah, he was in Superman. And, and uh, why was he in Superman? Oh, that's because he left X Men 3 to go and work with Brian Singer Brian. again. Yeah. There's, there's so many things I want to say about that. Uh, but yeah, the, the problem for me is uh, I've, I've got no nothing against James Marsden. Uh, you know, he's he's an okay-ish actor. But again, I know the character of Cyclops. You need an A-star fucking actor to to play this role. You need somebody with a bit more gravitas. Didn't work. Yeah, I totally agree. Like you say, he needs to be a stronger character in terms of his own strength and in terms of, like you say, leadership. Everyone looks to Cyclops because he's the leader that that's the way it should be and it never feels like that it always feels like Professor Mm -hmm. X is the leader and the Cyclops is just a member yeah even uh, and then as it goes on sometimes they look into Logan rather than even with the the newer iterations they were just shit uh, you know, from what I from what I'd seen, anyway. The problem is, uh, I think it's Ty Sheridan, which I've got. You know, I, I quite like the guy because he's in uh, Ready Player One, and he plays Cyclops. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy you in that. But in this, you, you, yeah, just shit. But we're jumping it. We're jumping the gun because we're not even going to get get to those anyway. So, <laughs> okay, so we leave X Men, and we go three years into the future. And we find X-Men, or X2, rather, as it's called. Because, yes, I tried searching for X-Men 2 on uh, Disney+, Plus and it came up with nothing. And then I realised, oh, yes, it's called X2, actually, isn't it? Um, so, the... I mean, yeah, I'm going to start at the beginning anyway. The, 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 it all kicks off with the uh, Nightcrawler sequence in the White House. Which, again, other than... Nightcrawler's tail a couple of times looking a bit ropey in CG because the Alan Cumming is just painted up it he still looks incredible the Bamf is still really good um reminded me actually going back and watching it of I wonder whether that's where they got the inspiration for the Quicksilver sequences in the more recent movies perhaps because yeah. it sort of plays a little bit like that with not quite in the slow motion but the, you know everything's so fast and frantic as it's happening, mm-hmm. um, as he's fighting his way through, um, but yeah, like you, like we discussed in the uh, in in that previous bit, the, Alan Cumming was a great choice here. 
I think he's exceptional in his role, which helps the movie overall because you've got a good actor in there who who is properly into his character and and wants to see it done justice, I guess. Um, the others have come on a little. I, Rogue is still a kid and she's still rubbish and now we've dropped the axe and, and we get the whole... It's, it's a little bit there. It's a she, little bit. She there, is, but... because I think it's because I like um, Ashmore. Which one is it? Sean? Sean Ashmore. I, I think I like I, I like him anyway. And he gets a little bit more to him in this one. With sort of him and Pyro being the sort of polar opposites of each other, mm-hmm. but both still friends with Rogue. So she's kind of got... I, I see it as like uh, she's got the devil and an angel on her shoulder in those sort of sequences. Mm-hmm. The guy who just wants to watch the world burn and the the guy who's, you know, well, the nice guy who who doesn't. Um, we, yeah, we get to see Logan. He's at the lake, still looking at stuff. We get a little hint of Gene's uh, power and where that at, where that's at now. Um, and obviously it's growing. She may be not able to control it entirely um and that introduces a little bit of intrigue for her character as we move forwards um i love the sequences where they have professor x freeze everything it just looks awesome i love the idea of that because again it's him showing quite where his powers extend to when he has to and he never really uses it to that degree but insists at this you know at these times is like oh i'm yeah i'm gonna shut everything down right now because i need to sort this out i love that he he never has to go whole hog he's always pulling his punches to a degree he has faith he has a little bit more faith than perhaps he should do at times uh, as this film will attest to yeah absolutely um and we get introduced to uh brian cox not the not the musician slash uh, astronomer, physicist, mm, probably both, but um, a play in striker that I, I I love that guy anyway. I think he's brilliant. I think the 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 villain is a little bit more. I don't want to say hammy, but you know, the villain is definitely a bad guy this time. You know, I can't I yeah. can't justify his point this time. No, what he wants uh... to do is kill all the mutants. That's yeah. what he's after. But the thing is, it's not a case of uh, he he looks at it and he just sees oh people I don't understand. Th- there is justifiable uh, understanding of why he's got to that point. He's you know as we learn, his son is a mutant uh, that can fuck with people's heads and very much did so, uh, which was caused you know, his wife to shoot her, shoot her own brains out. And he blames his son. Uh, he also blames the fact that people like Xavier didn't help his son. Um, you know, uh, is, it, is it more to do with the fact that your own son, your flesh and blood, is the twisted fucker? Doesn't matter whether he had powers or not. But again, this is not something that, uh, you know, Striker cares about. All he cares about is, I'm, I've got to control the mutants. If he can't control them, he's going to get rid of them. Absolutely. Um, we get our intros to our, our couple of new characters. Uh, Lady Deathstrike. Obviously, we don't know her as that at the beginning, but is sort of uh, seen as Striker's right-hand lady. Uh, and as I say, Pyro becomes a bigger bit this time, and obviously we'll 
develop as things go on. Um, again, there's bits of the um, <laughs> there's a particular line about uh, that Stryker says to his uh, oh, I can't remember who it is. It's someone in the White House when he's there, and they're trying to tell him about what he should do, and he's like, "Oh, you were." I was doing this when you were sucking on your mother's titties at Woodstock. Oh God, I love that line. I fucking I love, that love line. What that a great line. line. Yeah. I've used very, very uh, similar anecdotes in the past. Um, I think I've mentioned to you, I have totally used this. I'm like, yeah, I was out there getting shit faced when you were still sucking on your mother's tit. I've used that line yeah. because it's such a great line. It is. <laughs> um, we then discover that Stryker is so powerful, he actually has power over the man who was our villain in the last movie. Um, so he's going and talking to Magneto in his prison and uh, using a sort of truth serum, I think it is, or whatever it is that he uses on the back of their necks. So it's uh, kind of a, a secretion from his son. Uh, yes, that's right. That's his what it mutant gift. Uh, and, and basically, yeah, he's refined it to the point where he can just inject it into somebody and make them pliable. Um, there's a clever little bit with uh, Logan when he follows uh, Professor X into the into Cerebro. Um, for any, you know, I don't think they were really catering to people who hadn't seen the first film, but just in case you're not sure, they do the whole bit where he stubs a cigar out in his hand and you watch it heal. So that very quickly, just again, show not tell, we can see, all right, this guy's a healer. Fair enough, he heals his, he heals himself. So just to reintroduce anyone who's not sure. Um, now, this time through, I did notice when Mystique is breaking into Stryker's PC, there are Easter eggs galore oh, on that so computer. Many. So um, many. I mean, again, as we've just... Uh, Remy LeBeau was one that stood out to me particularly, but I, I know Jamie there are... Madrox is there as well. In there. Exactly. Um so yeah, it's interesting. I'd, I'd never noticed that the first time because, again, I had at this point I had no awareness of the the sort of wider X Men comic um, story. Um, <laughs> I did find it amusing watching Mystique print physical copies of the information she wanted in twenty twenty, like, and and she's like, yeah, I need these files, so she has to physically print them out to a no printer to pay to paper. I know that's what got me. I was like, oh, it's these sort of things that make you make you nostalgic when you're watching them. Um, yeah, and then I went to my notes about Alan Cummings. I first saw him in some random Channel Four comedy show where I think he worked on an airline, but I yes. can't remember what it yes, was called. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, I oh yeah no I know the exact one that you're referring to. Uh, let me try and find it while you you carry on. Let me... Okay. Um, we get this is obviously as we said this is where Logan's backstory starts to come into play a little bit more. Uh, so we're introduced to some of Logan's backstory via uh dreams that he's having, and you know it's like a door's been unlocked. Um. I, uh, and he then gets up in the middle of the night and goes down and uh, sees Bobby in the thing. I always like it when he just gets Bobby to chill his beer because mm-hmm. his beer's warm. Just... Yeah, just hand it. He just looks at it for a second. He's like, and just hands it over. Yeah, just hands it over. Just touches it for a second. It's a, again unsaid. Just knows exactly what he's after. It was called um, the High Life, by the way. The High Life, nineteen ninety-five. Yeah, 
wow there you go that that was the first thing i saw him in um and yeah there's a nice little sequence there with bobby and logan sort of bonding over a drink Mm -hmm. which i quite like i thought was quite good um I realise at this point that when when we're seeing Lady Deathstrike, all she's ever doing is just clicking her fingers. She's she's just finger clicking Lady at this point, like it's just to go. Oh look! If you didn't know, she's got shit in her fingers. By the exactly. way, exactly. But if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. No. Is what I realised. Like unless you were like us and you'd or, you know you'd seen a trailer, I suppose, where you get to see a little bit of the Wolverine fight that she has later on, you wouldn't know. And they haven't said her name, so she's no. just finger clicky lady is, at this stage and this is the thing throughout the entire film they don't call her by any name whatsoever she is just referred to as lady deathstrike but nobody fucking knows that's her name yeah because unless you watch the credits you don't know that you don't know her real name is yuriko she's got a relationship with wolverine and i could go into that shit as well yeah. which they don't touch on they give like one second they give like one second where he's killing her, where they look at each other intently, and you think, oh, no, they ju- it was just throwaway. And it pissed me off to no end. Ooh. Yeah, uh, so I think they do. They must refer to her as Eureka or something, or maybe, like you say, I saw it on the end credits, and we're like, oh, so that's her, because, yeah, I know about their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not ever said during this, and it's never mentioned. Um, the when the mansion gets attacked, we get our little uh, bits and pieces again. So we've got Kitty Pride running around, appearance from Banshee. Um, is it Banshee or is it Siren? I think it's Siren. Is it Siren? Fair enough. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote Banshee because that was the only one I could think of. But um, uh, Siren is his daughter. Uh, he okay. does, uh, basically the same, same thing. I see. Um, but again, I suppose that's cool for fans. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy Colossus. I quite liked seeing Colossus in a small role. Yeah, uh, um, he was one of those characters who you watched in this and you just went, oh, I want more of him. Um, mm. And then when they did X3, which we'll get to, they tried to beef up his role. Unfortunately, they then tried to do things with this character and it didn't work. He looked very formidable and intense in this, um, more so than he did in, in the next film. Perhaps. Yeah. Um. And it occurred to me during this sequence where then Logan just goes nuts. He's just fucking savage. Yeah. He's absolutely savage when he's unleashed, and I love it. Um, I, I particularly love the one where he's, he's stood waiting for someone to come around the door, and you're just watching the, the floor of the doorway and the footsteps, and then the claws come down through the foot. Yeah. And he just then fucks the guy up. It's so ridiculous. Mm. Like, but awesome and that, that again that was me going yeah this is this is logan isn't it he's when unleashed he's a feral beast this mm. this is what he is this is why they call him the wolverine it's you know this is playing to his character um again uh that whole mansion sequence is great and there's so much to be said for real sets and real yeah. you know because that was well either an actual house or a set i'm not entirely convinced which but you know probably being glad to say a set i don't imagine them smashing the shit and blowing the shit out of a real Uh, that's very uh, true actually obviously it was a set then wasn't it but um uh yeah i i so much to be said for that because it still looks great during those sequences and the only sort of cg you get is the ice and that looks good and works really nicely um (laughs) yeah 
it's a little bit that only I would chuckle at um, because I'm a car person. But the uh, Scott's car is a Mazda RX-8, which was probably brand new at that time. Mm. I only mention it because it has one of the funniest engine names ever. That car had a Wankel rotary engine, which is entirely different from an internal combustion engine, for those that don't know. But yes, it is actually called a Wankel rotary engine. Um, but it amused me that it was a brand new Mazda RX-8, and you probably pick one of those up for about a grand these days. Um, there's then, uh, we get to um, the uh, sequence with Mystique, although you don't know it's Mystique to start with, because she actually looks like Rebecca Romain for the first time ever, and the only time in these films when she decides to look like a female human who is herself. She, uh, she does do it again in, in X3 as well. Or, oh, uh, the, la- the last stand, sorry. I'm not counting. Shit. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, you know, again, it just reminded me, like, she, she understood the requirements of the role. It's kind of like we discussed with uh, Toby Maguire as things went on, and he was like, no, I need my face to be out more. I don't want to be under the mask. And I just, that's what happened with J-Law, isn't it? She just got too big and was then, oh, no, I, I need to, people need to see my face. Or the studio said, hey, people need to see your face because you're in the film. I, I'm Don't not sure even. who that's, it is, you know. It went wrong because they they insisted on them being the star. Right. And this you, is what you, happens when you get you're someone edging like, open a door that I will, I will, I will launch through and, whoa, because first class, whoa, whoa, whoa. Pisses me off to no end. Yeah. That's why we're not going to discuss First Class. Um, I'll I'll touch on it to to explain why it's such a shit movie, but we'll get there. Oh, well. (laughs) There's always one reason that stands out to me, and that's Darwin, but we'll get there. Oh, that's that's, that's numero uno. Yeah, that's it. I'll explain that that when we get there. But there's other things as well. We'll we'll, we'll get there. Um... Yeah, I've then got some notes about Stryker because I, I I do love the character of William Stryker. I love the way Brian Cox plays it, but I do feel he's a bit more pantomime is the word I've gone for here than Magneto is. Um, You're right about he's been burned because of his son and things, but he's gone for such a a final solution way of uh, of getting everything fixed that I don't I just don't think his points stand up the same way Magneto's do in the first film. It's um, hard as Magneto well. had been persecuted and just yeah. wanted to level the playing field. Whereas yeah. Stryker has been hurt by a mutant that's his own flesh and blood. And like you say, there's a big thing there of, but is it your son who's the problem or is it the mutation that's a problem? Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is this is where things go a little bit askew in, in that there are uh, two stories that the uh, X, X2 film is based on. Uh, one of them is uh, God Loves, Man Kills. And it is a truly fantastic story about uh, persecution. Uh, and uh, Kitty Pride is, is kind of a heavy part of this as well. And it's uh, the Reverend William Stryker because he's very much a church uh, and and religious in individual in the comic mm. books more so than he is a uh, military based individual uh, there's also the uh, i think it's return to weapon x or, or some something similar to that so it's kind of an amalgamation of those two stories but again having read uh, god love man's kills eh, way 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 back 
before this had even come out, I was aware of the changes that they're going to make to Striker. If you read the original source material, I'm not saying you have to in the, in the context of this, uh, but you get a different perspective of, of this character. They've obviously changed it in that his son, uh, you know, is a mutant, etc., etc. But there's some really dark shit in even in that. And again, it just comes down to this is uh, an older guy of a different generation who sees things very much in a different capacity. And he sees mutants as the infection upon the planet, not something that should be revered. And th- again, they don't go into it into, into the necessary necessary sorry detail that they do uh, in the comic books in the films. But yeah, again, you're always going to get differences. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I love uh, Magneto's escape, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously follows on from the Rebecca Met remain sequence where she uh, injects a guy with more, too much iron in his blood. And uh, <laughs> I mean, icky, but icky, it's a cool but, way for him yeah. to get out. And I, I just, yeah, I, I love that sequence. I think it's awesome. Um, it was at this point where I gave in and actually imdb'd um pyro because i was like i know you from something Mm. something more recent that i've watched aaron stanford is his name and it turns out it's fear the walking dead when i was watching the first couple of seasons of that he's in that so i then very quickly came off imdb because i didn't need to know about that um walking dead at this point oh the walking dead i'm gone with and uh yeah i did watch a couple of seasons of fear the walking dead but then realized it was going to catch up and tie in and thought oh fuck this um pyro obviously turns turns baddie um well so this is a result of you know the 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 survivors of the uh the attack on the school um so they you know regroup back at bobby's parents house who don't really know that he's a mutant at this point um they know that he goes to a school for gifted individuals but don't really understand why um so that addresses again that element of if your family knew what would they do kind of a deal uh are they living in fear so it it addresses that um so in in doing that they regroup with some of the x-men uh who'd gone over to go and pick up nightcrawler uh and save him so uh it was i think it was storm and wolverine go off to to pick up nightcrawler or is it gene gray Gene. No, it's Gene, Storm, it's Gene, Gene and Storm, and then they come back and they meet up with Wolverine and uh, yeah, that's right. Pyro and Rogue. And then, yeah, so Magneto then saves their lives um, from uh, an attack. Uh, so he saves the X-Jet, uh, the Blackbird. That's one thing I'll, get, I'll give. The Blackbird looks fucking awesome in these films. It does look incredible. Oh, oh what, a, what an awesome Obviously, in that sequence, awesome as they're sort of crashing uh, with the missiles, we get our little hint of Jean as she gets her phoenix eyes for the first time and yeah you know the, the way they sprinkled some of the stuff through these i think was really good they they didn't you know they were obviously aiming for the third film to do phoenix so it was like well we don't need to push heavily into phoenix now we just need to we just need to start sprinkling bits in like in the yeah. first film we were sprinkling bits of wolverine's backstory in but knew that actually we're going to cover the origin in the second second film um so yeah we also get the the cool little bits because they sat around kind of having a a campfire and just having a little chat amongst themselves about what their next you know moves are going to be i uh go on 
No, I was just to say, so yeah, Magneto obviously informs uh, Wolverine about the fact that it was Stryker who gave him his adamantium skeleton in the first place. Um, and we also get one of the most interesting conversations between, uh, of any of the X-Men films, I find. Um, and it is between who in the comic books are Mother and Son, which is Mystique and Nightcrawler. But we don't get that here. We just get two people who are blue having a conversation about looking different and their differences and the fact that uh, you know uh, mystique you know nightcrawler says to mystique you know you can mimic anyone even their voice she comes back even their voice and it's just that wonderful conversation between the two again knowing the comic books as i do knowing that their father uh, sorry son and uh, and mother it just had a oh, it just had a little bit more oomph to it but they don't hint to any of that within this within this conversation whatsoever. It's just two characters, if you knew from the comic books, are related. We've put them together, but there's nothing really there. Yeah. They're just both blue. They're just um, both blue, but it's a great I do think... I have an issue with the beginning of that sequence. Like I say, I do like the discussion between the two of them, but similar to you, I wish there was more, mm. because I know there's more to it. Um I just think it's a bit of a shame that that most of that sequence is just an exposition dump to bring us up to speed on what everyone knows, because we've got two different clans of people who know two different parts of the story, so we have to mm. sit down and mash them together. But we, as the audience, know both parts of the story mm. because we've watched both sides of the 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 plot unfold. So we're aware of each side, but the characters have to tell each other, and they put it in there because they want to remind you. You know, just in case anyone's not sure, this is why we're here. This is where we're going to go, and this is why. You know, it's I, I just I hate it when they do that and just basil exposition it, just to to bring us all up to speed. I just wish there was a they do a different do it in a different way. Um, <laughs> there's a line that uh, Jean Grey said that the bitter the the bitter singleton in me wrote down. Um, oh God, man. You flirt with the dangerous guy, Logan. You don't take him home. I married the good guy. If only that was true. Yeah. If only that was fucking Crock true, a, eh? Crock of shit for real life, innit? Damn it. You women. I'm only joking, Ops. Um. Aha! There we go. You've already, oh, yeah. You've already <laughs> answered my question. I'd got a thing here, which was ask Fluffy, what's the relation between Nightcrawler and Mystique in comic? <laughs> You've already answered that one. So, yeah. uh, I, oh, God, there's a particular way that Ian McClellan, uh, McClellan? No, McKellen delivers a line when Pyro's talking to him when they're sort of Pyro's starting to think maybe I should go to the bad guy's side. Mm. Um, and he turns to him and says, so they say you're the bad guy. And he says, is that what they say? And I can't do it justice, but I fucking love the way he delivers that line. He says so much with, what is it, four words, five words. Yeah, And And he says an entire sentence behind it because of the inflection and the tone and the way he says it and his facial expression as he says it. Oh my God, it just, it really highlights where, you know, why I'm extolling the virtues of the actors like uh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McClellan. 
that they just bring such uh, the word you used earlier gravitas they bring a certain level of authority and seriousness and and oh, validity almost mm. to what is a a fantasy storyline it, it reminds me of some of the the lines of gandalf in lord of the rings which is a you know an over the top fantasy mm. yet the way he delivers some of the more poignant lines in the films just bring it back and ground it a little bit and make it seem more valid as a piece of work. It's when he also turns around and he goes, what's your name? And he tells him, he's like, what's your real name? But it's yeah. the way that he says it, like, I'm not talking about your human name. What's your mutant name? Yeah. And, uh, and then, yeah, just kind of takes his lighter away, you know, because obviously it's magnetic and he just brings it over and he just kind of, and it's just that moment. It's just like, you have a choice to make it, and yeah, you know. yeah. I the more we got into this one, and the the further we go down the rabbit hole with uh, Professor X at the camp uh, Camp Crystal Lake, I was just about to call it. That's a totally different film series, uh, Alkali Lake. Um, it did made me realize that poor Pat Stew doesn't get a huge amount to do in this one. Actually, no, sadly not. And I did at this point was where I went, I, I wish he'd had a little bit more to do. I mean, he does well with what he's given. He's very good at sort of having the glazed eyes, <laughs> you know, as if he's being controlled. Yeah. But that's about all he's given to do, really. Um, and it did make me a little bit sad. But I guess the the upshot is we got more Magneto. So, you know, that was that was good. Oh, well, um, what, what did we also get? Oh, that's right. Not only is Xavier... Uh, abducted and brainwashed so is cyclops so we basically get no fucking cyclops you know the leader of the x-men yeah, yeah, yeah. um you know and uh yeah he's uh he's shit yeah and like you say again who who's leading the x-men as they go on this assault logan probably yeah. is the one i'd say i mean magneto kind of but mm. sort of logan is mainly the leader and the one who's calling the shots and telling them what to do um um, I hadn't noticed until this point that Jubilee was one of the captured children, mm -hmm. which uh, I didn't realize to start with. Um, so in the in the the dam at Alkali Lake, we get Jean starting to go a bit more Phoenixy. Um, yeah, it and, begins with a fight with uh, with Scott. Yeah. Um, and again, I, you know, that was a good point for them to start amping it up as well because of the emotional connection that she would have uh, in fighting, you know, having to battle her her lover, her, you know, her partner. Um, and that would start to ramp up the emotion and maybe make her lose control a little bit more. Um, but obviously she goes so bad that she breaks a dam. And then we sort of switch back to Logan's backstory because we're sort of following three different arcs at this point are we we've got magneto and mystique doing their thing actually there's more than that because you've got magneto and mystique trying to stop what uh striker's son is trying to do with um xavier mm -hmm. you've got them doing their thing you've got uh scott and gene fighting you've got logan and Deathstrike fighting and then you've got striker sort of running around trying to keep all the balls in the air 
So there's quite a lot of different bits that we just skip across um, from one to the other. And it, I, I think it works well. It, it injects a sense of pace that I don't think is always there in these films. Um, I think both of them at, at times lack a sense of urgency. Yeah. And um, I don't want to say stakes because it always seems like there's stakes, but certainly, uh, like I say, pace, urgency. It just seems like we're not cracking along fast enough sometimes. Like we could be doing a bit more um but i think they get it right with this sort of third act bit in in alkali lake um i like the uh logan versus death strike uh fight uh it's i mean harsh as all shit particularly at the end when he sorts her out um especially when you consider that the assumption is she was being mind controlled as well yeah, because um, she had the sort yeah. of dot in the back of back yeah. of her neck, yeah. and so like she may not have been doing that if she was not being controlled. So I've always thought that was a bit harsh. And again, this because at this point Logan doesn't have these memories back. Yeah. He's come into a room which he recognizes because he can see the scratch marks from where he popped his claws for the first time and escaped and stuff like that. So he knows this is the room where I was, you know, given my adamantium skeleton. And then he has a fight with Yuriko and uh, just brutally stabs her with the adamantium, or sorry, the uh, liquefied adamantium at this point, because it has to stay liquid. Otherwise, you know, it's uh, the hardest metal uh, on earth. Vibranium as well. That, that's a conversation for another day. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, he just stabs her and uh, yeah, you just see all the liquid pouring into her and you just get this sudden look on her face. And again, like I say, I don't know whether they intended to build a relationship between the two, which they had in the comic books. And she just looks at him with this this distant look, and it's like, oh, Logan, it's you. You've just fucking killed me. And he's just yeah. looking at her like, I don't know who you are. Yeah. So again, I was like, did you need to do that? Like you say, she was an innocent. She was being mind controlled. Did you need to kill her? Probably not. Probably not. Um, mm. Yeah. Um. Uh, watch it uh, magneto gets some good bits in this as well where I, I love the bit where he's walking towards the guards and um he just takes the pins out of all of their all grenades right. yeah just a, an incredible bit um something i've never understood mm-hmm. never understood when um magneto goes into the sort of fake cerebro that uh or the forebro f- yeah, that kind of I understood works. what you mean, but yes, carry on. <laughs> um, when they go into fake Cerebro, um, why why does he move some of the metal plates around? Uh, the intent there is that at the time, uh, that because it's not a fully constructed Cerebro, again, this is me just reading into it. Yeah, yeah. Again, no, because it says uh, nothing. Because I, I, no. from what we've seen before, Professor X is the one that decides whether he's looking at mutants or humans. He does, in the sense of it's a a completed Cerebro. So where they'd built a Cerebro, which perhaps just targeted mutants because of the way that it was built, because it's not completed, it's not fully constructed, like the Cerebro of, of, uh, you know, under under the Institute. It's not a completed one. So Magneto, essentially, having helped build the first one, as we all know, um, he understands how this is all put together. So all he essentially does is... uh, We'll say reverse the polarity yeah, of it, that's, so that's it's no longer going humans. It's going humans. It, that's that's what I took away from it being the comic book fan and and things like that. I was like, okay, it's not completed. He's just rearranged it, so now it targets humans instead of humans. 
Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, the dam breaks and everything's falling apart. Everyone gets a little bit of a chance to shine in the last act in various ways. It's at this point that my notes say, Rogue's a bit rubbish as a character in these films, isn't she? No, she doesn't do anything. We've gone along. And and then my note is also, I've just realised that her southern accent has been MIA for this film mm. as well. She quite it took literally me that does... long to realise because she's such a background player. She does nothing in this film. Absolutely nope. nothing. Completely fucking pointless. Um, and obviously we end with Jean's sacrifice to save the team. Uh, to set up a nice Phoenix, Dark Phoenix storyline, which I'm sure they won't fuck up at all in the third film. Well, they oh. fucked it up twice. Wait, hold on. They fucked it up twice, if not more, uh, in, in actual fact. If you look at the prequel films, which we're not going to because they're shit. We're not. I haven't even seen that one, actually. Apocalypse. It's, it's the, it was the last one that I watched, and I, well, after that, I couldn't watch anymore. No, hang on a minute. No, sorry, I watched Apocalypse. Yeah, Apocalypse is the one that so put me appalled. off. I couldn't so deal appalled. with anything else from it after that. That's why I haven't it, watched Dark Phoenix. If if it has the word Simon Kinberg attached to it, fuck off. Oh, yeah. By, I mean, by that time, he was writing the damn things. He wasn't just the producer either. No, writing, like, producing, I think, directing. I think the, he's the director of the... He Dark is. Phoenix, he's he? the director of the last one. God. Um, is, it, is it any wonder Fox sold? Yeah, exactly. Um, we get another cool Professor Xavier frozen room thing in the White House at the end. Um, you know what that's always reminded me of the because it, it made me think of the intro of both films and the intro over the beginning has a Patrick Stewart sort of Professor X poignant quote over the front of the credits before the credits roll. Yeah, it's kind of explaining what the mutant gene is and how yeah, it can yeah, impact humanity. It. Um, yeah. always reminded me of Star Trek: Next Generation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Sequence, you know, because that's how it started <laughs> with him talking the Star Trek bit over the beginning. These um, are the stories of the X Men at the Institute for Advanced <laughs> Um. Also occurred to me that Logan's hair must have been a pain in the ass to keep in the keep like bright and in in shape the whole time. Um, it's been a real it, pain it, in the arse for the makeup. I've seen various things, and that's it. It's just a style. Like you, you've cut the hair, and you you manage to keep it in that way. It's it's not too bad. Uh, again, mainly because I've been able to keep you know uh, at various points throughout my life when my hair gets a little bit long, and I can wake up in the morning and I can go, <laughs> I look like Wolverine. <laughs> and it, it tickles me to no end, you know. <laughs> um, now the one thing I didn't do actually because I'd forgotten about this last note is uh, I meant to look up. The book "I Want and Future King" by T. S. White, um, because Professor X mentions it right at the end and says they're going to be looking at it, and it's also the book that Magneto's reading in prison earlier in the it film. Yep. So I wondered whether there's some poignancy with the with the book itself and its themes and what it's doing or something. But I I totally forgot that I needed to look that up. Uh, you know yeah, no, I remember it, but I don't, again, it's not a book that I've read. Um, yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, go and look up Once a Future King if you want to know more. Um. I that that's kind of it. I've I've got nothing else on X two. Um. Any any final thoughts you want to put in there? Yeah, I mean, so again, as a 
you know, as, as the X-Men fan amongst our, uh, our little social group. Um, I enjoyed this so very much more um, when, when it came out. I think I was, I want to say I was at uni at the time, actually. I think when this came out, I think I was at uni, maybe first year of uni. So first I went, year, second year, yeah. I think it was first year. And uh, I think went to the cinema and took loads of people in my halls of residence to go and see it. And loads of people came out and were asking me questions and saying how much they enjoyed it and stuff. And I was really enthusiastic at that point um because it did do the kind of the phoenix uh stuff again you go back and i was still i i mean the, the things like i say that that really pissed me off mostly about this is how they treat cyclops again and gene gray again um you know these are these are core members of of the x-men they're the founding you know members of the x-men and stuff like that and they just don't get the screen time i appreciate that wolverine and hugh jackman was very big and that, that's that, that that's what they wanted to do but again, you go back and uh, Magneto probably gets more screen time. Uh, you know, Xavier probably gets more screen time. Stryker probably gets more screen time. And it, it's it's a bit of an issue for me with some of the members of the X-Men that they do just kind of go, we're going to do Wolverine-centric films, which I understand because, again, go back over the comic books. At one point, Jesus Christ, Wolverine was in his own book. Uh, he had a spin-off book. He was in a member of the X-Men teams. Uh, he was in two or three other members of the X-Men teams. He was in an Avengers book. He was in literally two or three comics every fucking week. That's how it was. It's died down a little bit since then, which is is kind of good. Um, but again, it's the, the, the other characters. Rogue isn't a scratch on her comic book counterpart. She can absorb powers, but doesn't really seem to do anything introducing Iceman, cool. Uh, gave him a little bit to do, not a great more. Um, the, the best things coming out of this by far was Nightcrawler, um, who they didn't even use in the third one. From yeah. what I understand of conversations, Alan Cumming did not have the best of experiences with this film as a result of the director. Now, we all know the stories about Brian Singer now um, and the things that he gets up to, so it's unsurprising that various uh, members of uh, you know the community don't want anything to do with the son of a bitch um, and that they didn't want to work with him again because he was such a fucking weird guy and that he would bugger off and argue with people and all the weird stuff that he did I can understand that now some of the others may have been tied into long term contracts but it was a shame to see Alan come and go because he was probably the most uh, enticing of characters because he looked so much like his counterpart because he had a story and he he was a mutant but again this was the whole point of somebody like Kurt Wagner. He looked like a mutant. He couldn't pass as a human. He was a mutant 24-7. And that was the difference between him and a lot of the other characters. You go into the next film, we don't have that. We don't have a mutant that looks like a mutant all the time. And I think that was something that they uh, they, they missed the boat with here. Um, yeah, I agree. The story overall was was good. Um, you know, God Love Man Kills is is a fantastic story. Integrating that with uh, other elements. The problem for me again was I didn't. Uh, yeah, okay, I was like, ooh, Phoenix by the end of it, but I didn't care enough about Jean Grey to go. Yeah, I want this character to come back and stuff. That's the problem. If you're gonna do Dark Phoenix Saga, you actually have to build a relationship between Cyclops, Jean Grey, um, and actually have an understanding of why those characters are important. That doesn't feel like it at this point. It's like, oh, okay, we're jumping on to the next chapter because it's the next, you know, big thing that they want to do, the Dark Phoenix saga. Here's a little hint, everybody. It's shit in the film capacity. Go back and watch the X-Men animated cartoons for the real, real Dark Phoenix saga, including the Shi'ar Empire, who are an integral part of this whole thing. 
and they just fudge over that very much so. Okay, so you know. Yeah, I at totally this agree. point, it was still the best comic book movie to date. And it's still, hands down, one of the best ones to do, uh, or has been, sorry, when you, you just look at the story, if you forget everything before, everything after, you look at this as a soul film, it is very, very good. Um, yeah, I do think this one still stands up. I totally agree with that. Um, in, in the, you know, because it is the modern glut since Iron Man, essentially. You know, Marvel gave us a new way of looking at it and a new way of doing these things that, you know, because X2, X-Men, even Spider-Man to it, they feel like superhero films. Mm. And that was a, a genre unto itself. Whereas I think Marvel tried to change that a little bit and go, no, these superheroes are in heist movies, uh, World yeah. War II uh, films, uh, espionage, spy movies, space operas, you know. Yeah, they, not, not every superhero film has to go by the superhero mold. Exactly. Let's have a drama, let's have a thriller, let's have, yeah. you know, uh, like you said, the, the various elements of the adventure. Exactly. And they tried to take those characters and put them into, uh, yeah, a, a sort of more relatable situation in most cases, not in all, obviously, but, um, yeah. So I have no notes about X3, The Last Stand, or X-Men 3, The Last Stand, because mm-hmm. it was shit. We all know mm-hmm. it was shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Most of the people who'd been, as you say, signed up for multiple films bailed um, as early as they could because they had signed up for it, so they had to be in it. But, I mean, Cyclops dies in the first 10, 15 minutes, from what I remember. Um, Professor X goes. We end up with Vinnie Jones as Juggernaut. I'll get there. I will get there in in a minute. Go on, then. I'm going to hand this to you, because I I have no notes. It's a shit film. I haven't watched it. It it is a truly horrendous film for a number of reasons. So after Brian Singer decided to bail on the X-Men stuff to go and do Superman Returns, well done, because that was such a success. Yeah, that was a brilliant film. Um, We then had um, Matthew Vaughan come in, who was originally supposed to be doing this. Uh, He left due to personal issues, um, whatever they may be at the time, and it was handed off to Brett Ratner. Now, obviously, at this point, you know, Brett Ratner had seen do Rush Hour 1, 2, and 3, and I thought they were entertaining comedic films. Um, I hadn't really seen much more of of Ratner's work, so I didn't realize, actually, he doesn't really know how to act, uh, to to direct action scenes and and the like. Um, Particularly an ensemble cast, because, again, he's used to working with Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. And, 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 like, I don't mind the Rush Hour films, but when you look at them, actually, the first one is Jackie Chan's The Fish Out of Water, I think. Then the second one is Chris Tucker's The Fish Out of Water. And then the third one, they were like, oh, well, what do we do now? Let's go to Europe. So they're both a fish out of water. And it, it, it just followed that that sort of standard troping that they were doing at the time. Like, all right, we'll flip it one way. We'll flip it back the other for the second one. And then what do we do for the third one? Oh, let's send them to Europe, which was very much a thing at the time. Um, so the last stand essentially starts off with trying to delve into the history of Jean Grey with uh, Magneto and, uh, and Xavier. So they go back and, and they kind of show the early interactions with her and how strong and powerful she was back then. Again, completely subverting what we've just seen in the last yeah. few films. There's no indication that there was any of that. There's no indication from, uh, you know, Magneto that he he saw Gene as as a threat, which he definitely would if this was the case. So straight off the bat, you, you're shitting all over the place. Uh, we then get introduced to Warren Worthington, who's trying to cut off his own wings. 
Um, a great actor, Ben Foster. I've ben seen him numerous things. Why the fuck they cast this guy and then did nothing with him? God only knows. Um, so there's now basically a cure for mutants, which again kind of goes in line with a story that they were at the time telling within, I think, uh, Astonishing X-Men. Uh, and that basically they've now got a cure for it, um, which obviously, you know, loads of people around the world want. Um, some people do, some people don't. Some people view it as, you know, heresy. They don't want that to occur. Rogue, obviously, is one of the first to jump up and down and like, yeah, I want the cure. Proving that Rogue is just a shitty character and has been in the films because she just doesn't care about the X-Men. She doesn't care about mutants. She's just self-serving. Um, we then get um, Magneto basically re-establishing his brotherhood. He, you know, he busts Mystique out of prison um, and also frees... This is where we get Juggernaut and Multiple Man. So within this same scene, within this same scene, we've got Magneto freeing Mystique, giving some implication that they had a romantic relationship. What? Um, and then Magneto uh, doesn't bother to kind of help Mystique and she gets turned into a human and he just abandons her. Wow, brilliant. We get the introduction of Multiple Man, who looks crap um, and is a villain. Um, not really befitting the, the, the character that I know and love. And then we get Juggernaut, who's a mutant apparently, who's never been a mutant, will never be a mutant, has absolutely fuck all to do with the X-Gene. His powers come from the gem of Sitarak, which turns him into a mythical being with the unstoppable force. At no part in any of that is he a mutant. Okay, fine. You want to establish Juggernaut within the mutant community. Maybe you address that his stepbrother is Charles Xavier. Oh, wait, you're not going to do that either. Okay, so why is Juggernaut here? Because you want a big powerhouse. Okay, there's a literally a million other X-Men related villains that you could have had instead of Juggernaut. And Vinnie Jones was shit. You only got the job because your buddy Matthew Vaughan was coming on board and then he bailed and left you sat in the shit and it's crap. It's, it's just crap. He looks crap. He is crap. Full stop. We also get in this film another great actress in another great role, Ellen Page playing Kitty Pryde. Works works like a dream, absolutely. Yeah, it's about the only the only thing I can think positively about from this movie. Yeah, um, and, and again, her perspective. She's building a relationship with uh, with Bobby as Rogue is fucking off to become a human because she's turning her back on mutants. Um, and so we've got this as well, and she's trying to understand her point of view. Um, so again, she, she's great, and it comes a little bit important later on where she's trying to protect the child. Uh, I think it's Leech at this point. Uh, I think we realize that it's Leech. And she's trying to protect him. And because she knows that her powers won't work around him, uh, she can't phase through the wall. But then Juggernaut comes through and there's a whole thing there. And she's like, oh, she calls him a dickhead. And I'm like, fucking hell. But the whole point of Kitty Pride is very much in true to her character. She was doing the things that I would expect Kitty Pride to do. And again, great, great actress to go into that role. I've seen Ellen Page, uh, as we've discussed in, in uh, Umbrella Academy. She's truly atrocious at various points in that. So I know that she can do well. I've seen Juno. I know she's very good. Um, mm. So we get, oh God. So we get the whole Phoenix thing starting um, because Scott is, is all upset and um, 
you know, moody little bastard. Oh, basically, this is the way that we're going to write Scott Summers out of the film. So they send him to Alkali Lake to go and be deep and brooding about the fact that he lost his wife. And then suddenly Gene appears um, and uh, they, they share a moment. And then for some reason, he just vanishes. She just kills him straight out, which again, I'm like, okay, what? So you're supposed to be Gene Grey, the Phoenix, and you've just killed Scott Summers because you just want to write him out of the film. Okay, this doesn't really work. This is not working at all at this point. I was abundantly clear by this point, this is not going to be a good X-Men film. Um, so we then get Logan and Storm go up there, find these glasses just floating in the air. Why are they floating in the air? Why is there a telekinetic field roaming around? Doesn't make any fucking sense. So we then basically get them going back to the, the mansion, talking to Xavier, who explains the Phoenix. Never, never once before has mentioned that he's got quite literally an A-bomb sitting, teaching kids that he's a little bit worried about that one day she's just going to snap and destroy the whole world. No point did we get any of that. Okay. Fine. Um, and so basically he, Logan's a bit pissed off with the fact that Xavier didn't tell him um, and that he kind of psychically tampered with Jean's memory so that she didn't exactly remember her childhood and stuff. And it's just, it just goes down a whole fucking heap of bullshit. Magneto at this point is building up an army to go and attack uh, this medical institute to get rid of the cure because he doesn't believe in it. So he builds up this army of mutants. And if you remember watching the film, which I do, every other mutant looks like every other mutant. There is no variation. They're all a little bit gray skinned and they can all climb and they can all do this, that and the other. I'm sorry, but that's just the biggest crock of shit I've ever seen in my life. Go back and look at the X-Men. And this is one of the reasons that I love it because they're all big and colorful. They wear crazy outfits. They all look different. They've all got different powers. Uh, you know, and this is the kind of thing. They basically just send an army of dudes who can kind of climb shit and are just don't really have any definitive abilities. What was that about? And you get the X-Men lining up trying to protect the facility. At this point, yeah, you get Colossus turning into a badass. You get Beast, who I'd forgotten we got Beast in this. Kelsey Grammer is Beast. Yeah, Kelsey Grammer is Beast. Because again, Hank McCoy is on the telly in yes, one of in the earlier the films. In it, as a human, as a human, yeah. So again, even though we then try and do that with the retcons of first class and all that shit, and show that he's been a, a mutant all the time, doesn't work. Um, so, I mean, this whole nonsense carries on, and then we get um, the uh, we, we get the injection. Uh, so Hank McCoy grabs a, a needle and injects Magneto, basically giving him the cure, turning him into a human. Um, and as as occurs with a few other people as well. Um, the Phoenix kind of uh, appears, and then Logan does what Logan does best in, in the comic books. He goes and kills the Phoenix. He just stabs her through the chest. If you've, what, if you've read any, uh, you know, Phoenix story in the comic books, you know this is how it ends. Almost every single fucking time. And even Wolverine in the comic books has said it numerous times. He's like, there's only so many times I can stab you in the chest. Um, and it's, it's, it's because it's that common thread in comic books that he has to face Gene and he's the one that can put her down because he's willing to cross that line. He's willing to kill somebody that he cares so much about because Cyclops is a big pussy at this point. Um, but again, in the context of the film, it doesn't work. It, it just doesn't work because they're not, they've not got the relationship that they have in, in the comic books. Um, so anyway, he fatally stabs her and kills her and then they all go back to, you know, to the institute and um 
you know, McCoy's kind of, you know, boosted and, and given a point to the UN by the president. Um, Rogue's taken the cure and basically just doesn't really give a shit. Uh, Magneto is now sitting in uh, in, in prison. And um, and then we get... Uh, oh, sorry, by the, uh, we've forgotten at this point that Xavier's been killed by Jean. Sorry, I've completely forgotten. So bye-bye, Patrick Stewart as well. Um, and yeah, Magneto's been given the cure. And then we get that thing where he pushes his little metal piece to show Ooh, maybe actually the cure didn't work. There's so many things wrong with this film from the actors who were just basically phoning at home for a lot of it. Uh, yeah, like, <clears throat> I, I always felt that particularly about the original cast from yeah. the first two films. It's like they they were like, oh, fuck, I don't want to do this anymore when they got to this one. And we're just like, I'll write me out as soon as you can, please. Yeah. Um, so many, just so many problems with it. Um, the CGI is is terrible. The directing is terrible. The script is terrible. And you find Wolverine's claws get worse as the movies yeah. go on. I mean, it yeah. peaks for me at Origins, uh, the Origins movie, which is obviously one of the worst. But his claws look the worst to me in that film. It then gets slightly better for Wolverine and then Old Man Logan afterwards. But that <laughs> that particular film, I just feel they, they get progressively worse and I don't know how. We also get perhaps one of the worst ever mutants to, okay, you know what? Let's have a battle between Wolverine, the baddest son of a bitch on the planet, and a guy who can throw spikes out of his arms. Yeah. Like, we've, we've, we've just gone from two films where you've had some pretty intense fighting sequences, and you then give a guy throwing bones out of his arm against Wolverine. Well done. Uh, is it any wonder at this point <laughs> the X Men franchise was on its on its fucking last legs? Well, yeah. Um, it, you know, I would say we, at this point the only thing that span off it was Origins, wasn't it? And Wolverine got his own movie. Yeah, Wolverine. Because Origins Wolverine was, was the only bit saleable part left for them to try and get out of it. Which and shits all over the history of Wolverine again. Read the real shits all real over the version of Wolverine Origins. I've lent it to you. I'm sure I have in the past. Oh yeah, yeah. It's incredible. It's, Truly fascinating story, but it, it shot on every character. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we've seen Brian Reynolds be. <laughs> oh God! Well, yeah, we don't. What need it to, did yeah, to Deadpool. Deadpool? Yeah. Oh Jesus um, Christ! Who thought that was a good idea? It le- it, let's have a great idea. Let's make Sabretooth and Wolverine brothers, even though we're not going to address it ever. The fact that they met in the first film, and now we're going to do the origins where their brother and brother, even though they don't look alike, they're actually not alike. And in fact, if you go back in comic book history. They aren't related at all. He does have a brother who is a bit vicious and does look pretty brutal, but it's not Sabretooth, so why fucking bother? Um, and then we get, you know, the, the re... I'm, I'm only going to touch on this and then... Uh, and, and then well, I think, I think you, like you say, we need to explain Darwin as... as, as uh, yeah, so this is, is the pinnacle class. of why the, the reboot, the, the first class stuff, because... Yeah. The only one of those films that I would ever be interested in talking about is Days of Future Past. Yes, I was going to... Because no, I think that does half a decent job. But the job it's trying to do is essentially rewrite yes. Origins and yeah. The Last Stand because yeah. they were so fucking bad. And it does it. It succeeds in what it's doing. But I, you know, that is the only one I would ever try and hold a candle for. But go on, first class, Fluffy. So... Explain to us why it's impossible 
for Darwin to have (laughs) died. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. So Darwin in the comic books is uh, a mutant with the ability to change every aspect of himself to survive any encounter. So you throw him in the sea, he'll sprout gills. You throw him into space, he can live within the vacuum of space. You put him on the sun, his skin will probably develop to a point where it's completely insusceptible for for heat to get to him. You basically put him in any situation. And in fact, in the comic books, this very, very event occurs. He meets Hela. He meets Death. Death personified. He meets Hela and looks her in the eye and she shits herself because she's looking back at somebody who cannot die. He effectively turns into Death's version of Death. It's it's in his eyes. You just see kind of this this image, and Hella is absolutely shit scared because she realizes she can't do anything to, to Darwin. So a guy who cannot be killed gets a little little globe of orangey stuff popped in his mouth by Kevin Bacon and dies. Apparently, it's so fucking stupid that bit. I mean, the whole fucking thing is bad, but the the, the first sake. class. The, the first class, which should consist of Cyclops, of Jean Grey, of Beast, of Iceman, and of Angel. That is the original first class. Yeah, pretty much none of those characters. Oh, wait, no. Hank is, but isn't really part of the first class because he's kind of the teacher's assistant. Um, so instead, we get Darwin. We get Pixie, I think, or Angel, um, which is a different character to uh, the the... Warren Worthington Angel, I should, I should yep. put. Um, and I'm, I can't even remember the others because they're so in... Uh, Havoc's one of them, isn't it? Oh, Havoc, yeah, sorry, Cyclops' brother. Yeah. Even though, in reality, he's his younger brother, but now we're going to put him as his older brother. That makes sense. Well done. Yeah. Uh, and Mystique. Even though we'd never established in the previous two films that Mystique had any relationship with the Xavier or the X-Men in general, and then they tried to integrate her to become part of the X-Men to the point where she's leading the X-Men in the last of these shitty-fired version of films. Yeah, I I, I remember one of them distinctly finishes with her sort of walking up and down looking at her troop of X-Men. I'm like, what? You're the leader? Yeah. What the fuck? How did that happen? What, What... Baffles me even more, and uh, you know I, I'm going to shout it out is uh, is Jane Goldman, one of the writers of the script. Her husband, her husband, Jonathan yeah. Ross, one of the biggest fucking comic book fans that we know of, in in, in terms of you know UK you know pop culture and stuff like that. How did he not at one point read that script and go, "Love, think you've made a few mistakes in there." At yeah. no point did he read his wife's script and go, "Love." You're going to piss a lot of people off because this makes no sense whatsoever. I, I, I don't know. I appreciate um, the idea that of trying to what yeah. they were trying to do potentially. And, you know, yes, you've got McAvoy and Fassbender who are incredible actors mm. and perfect as the younger versions of these things. But again, you even that, uh, James McAvoy is too weedy. He's yeah. not strong enough in it. And again, I'd take it if there was character development through the films, but he just seems to become a dick at points. Yeah. He just becomes he a bigger being... and bigger penis. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he just he, goes he from does. being a wimp to being a knob. And it's like, He's no, just... I don't like you. And just Fassbender, what were you doing with your accent? 
Yeah, which accent what? were you going were you for? Were you Irish? Were you German? Were you yeah. fucking Austrian? Were yeah. you American? Were you yeah. English? I just yeah. don't fucking know yeah. anymore. I remember going seeing this with uh, our good friend Baggy and coming out of it going, I don't know what nationality he was supposed to be. And he, <laughs> he literally was pissing himself laughing, going, I don't even get me started. Like, we'd, I'd, I'd seen it. I was like, I didn't want to go and see it because I was like, okay, you're not doing first class, but I've got to give it you know, something to, to, to hope that it, yeah. And I just, we were hopeful uh, at the end of the day, weren't we? We were hopeful that this might work. And uh, yeah, it, it was the, unfortunately it didn't. Like I say, I, I the Cuban crisis, wasn't it? That they were yeah, Cuban missile crisis. But yeah, the only one that kind of works for me is Days of Future Past, but. It does, it both does and doesn't. Again, Days it, of Future parts Past. Parts of it that uh, are glaringly bad, but I kind of like it as a whole because it, it basically removes the third film and origins from canon. So um, I go with that. <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, again, like in terms of some of the best, uh, you know, X-Men stories of, of comics, uh, Days of Future Past by far is, is a hugely popular one. And rightfully so. It is fantastic. That's a great comic. Um, again, not half it, as long as I thought it was. No, it's not. Uh, again, point. bringing us the, the the earlier version of Old Man Logan, obviously that develops a lot more in the comic books a little bit later, uh, of which they kind of took, uh, you know, some of the some of the story and, and some of the element of that into uh, Logan, which was essentially kind of trying to do the Old Man Logan story. Um, suffice it to say, the X-Men series, after, after First Class, was like, okay, we're going to do it for this commercial audience, and they'd, they'd already lost a huge chunk of the people that bothered in the first I think a place. lot of the fans had checked out at that stage. Yeah, they, they completely checked out. We'd had Wolverine Origins, which was a, a complete and a travesty. They tried to do something with Days of Future Past, and yes, it worked. I prefer the second version to the first. The second version um, actually replaces... Um, so I think the first version is with Ellen Page um, as Kitty, and she's the one pushing Logan back into the past which yep. is befitting of the storyline uh, of the comic book but actually the second version where they introduce rogue is a little bit better in in because there are certain scenes which actually fit a little bit better with her character having the history with logan than it does with kitty pride because they didn't bother to do kitty pride instead yeah yeah i understand um but by this point yeah most people are checked out deadpool came along a little bit after and it was like okay even Deadpool takes the piss out of the X Men franchise, yep. you know. Uh, which which uh, he goes to the goes to the man. She's like, "Oh, which is this? Uh, is this McAvoy or is this uh, P- uh, Patrick Stewart?" And even he jokes about that shit. And who yep. wants to Who wants to work with James McAvoy? Where he could work with Patrick Stewart for Christ's sake. Yeah. That's um, it. And now we've got to the point where the New Mutants, which was the last Fox produced film, which was by all accounts an absolute piece of crap uh all, all the critical reviews of it have been terrible Most yeah my, the- my favorite film reviewer his his glowing review of it is well it's not terrible so <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know then isn't it yeah and and that's the thing i look at some of the some of the cast you know you got Maisie williams from uh you know game of thrones decent enough i thought okay she could do a good rain sinclair by all accounts she does but again doesn't have the gravitas um at this point, we, we were flogging a dead horse. Let's say, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the 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 whole thing has been sold over to Marvel now, and I genuinely, genuinely believe, I'd like to believe that Marvel will sort this out a proper. Um, they can't they can't ignore 
the mistakes of the past, but I think they can now move forward and go, you know what? If we're going to do a first class, we're going to do a first class. We've got enough X-Men characters, sub-characters um, to do a whole other universe if they really wanted to. They could do four mil films a year with just the X-Men side of stuff. To, you know, they're not going to. We may get there, but I have the utmost confidence that Marvel will put the right people on this project and get the right actors in to do it. Because I keep hearing, oh, I want to play Wolverine. Oh, I want to play this. Oh, I want to play that. And sometimes you look at the casting and go, I'm not sure. I'm hopeful because of the respect I have at this point with Marvel Studios and everything they've produced. Aside from one or two glaring instances in humans. Um, yeah, but at least they tried that as a TV project. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, again, TV projects, Immortal Iron Fist, on one hand, it could have been okay, but too many too many pieces of crap in, in that just held it back. I have the confidence that they could do an X-Men movie-verse, but they could also do an X-Men TV-verse in, in Marvel as well. Only the future will, will tell in that respect. Mm, absolutely. Um. Yeah, I yeah. I don't know. Part of me wants to fantasy book some of it, but no. I but could. I because uh, well, what? How do you approach it? Because the X Men is an ensemble cast, mm. and Marvel built to their ensemble the Avengers through s- single movies. Mm. But I'm not sure that a single film based around you know five X Men would sell enough for them to warrant their own film. Sort of an X-Men film is the way to go. But how do you cope with having to introduce five or six characters to us who are all supposed to be unique, who we'd rather be unique, with complex backstories, which a lot of them have, as we've touched on, you know, things like Nightcrawler and Mystique are actually related, and, you know, Xavier and uh, Juggernaut are related, and there's different different cast members in there, um, different characters that you could put in there that would be related as well. Again, Havoc and Scott Summers. Um, how how would you approach it? Because if we look at, yeah. like, take Spider-Man Homecoming, for example, they sort of just went, we don't need to introduce you to Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. We don't need to give you the origin of Spider-Man because Spider-Man is well enough known now in the, the sort of mainstream general public's brain as being the guy who was bitten by a radioactive spider. And I think you've got that sort of level of mainstream knowledge towards Logan, particularly. Mm-hmm. But I can't think of others from the X-verse that, that have that same level of recognition. So I'm just, you know, purely out of curiosity. Because mm. I, I, I'm not sure how I'd go about it if I was the man behind the scenes, because I, I, I don't want to have to try and tackle five origins. Yeah. Because then um, you end up with the beginning of Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they're sat the... around the table and it's just a dossier and you go very montage through who these people are and try and give them a broad stroke. Um, and the issues, there, there are a number of issues in the respect of how Marvel decide to introduce them into the main Marvel universe. Will they be, will, uh, will mutants be a result of something, say, the Scarlet Witch has done, which we might, you know, get to soon. 
again, we've already got the link between, uh, you know, the X-Men and, and that existing universe of MCU in Scarlet Witch, who is, okay, don't want to go too much into this because they've tried to retcon it for a number of times over the last few years. We will just say Scarlet Witch is a mutant who at one point actually caused the entirety of the world's mutants, millions, millions wide, to diminish down to 192. That's that's the fucked up thing that Scarlet Witch once did. Um, so will we get some integration of Scarlet Witch's power base introducing the X-Men to the main MCU? Who's to say? Will it be a multiversal thing? Who's to say? Will they already have been there and established, but not really in the public domain? Who's to say? So that's one of the ultimate questions that they're going to have to ask. Um, in terms of the film itself, I think personally, as much as I love Wolverine, as everybody does, they need to do an X-Men film without Wolverine in it and establish the big five, which is the five original members of the X-Men. Now, be that if they are going to be slightly older, uh, I'm not t- talking to the point where they're, you know, they're headmasters and, and teachers of the school or whatever, but a little bit more mature uh, than, than being at the school. But I think you need to set the precedence for the original X-Men for a number of reasons, because that's the foundation of that comic book. But that's for me as a comic book lover of X-Men to kind of say, yeah, I understand we're in the 21st century now. Those five individuals and their their powers don't necessarily reflect to the changes and the world that we live in today. So they might want to be a bit, a bit more edgier. They might want to put somebody who's got a little bit more CGI. You could have, say, armor, somebody who can create, uh, you know, an exosuit out of, you know, out of light, essentially. That would be a great visual. And this is the problem. There are so many great mutants that I can think of who on screen would be fantastic. But for me, the core of the X-Men is addressing who the X-Men are. They are a family unit because they share those differences, but similarities at the same time, that they are all for the same commonality. They are very much like Wakandans are, you know, the, the, the Wakandans are the Wakandan people and that, that's their nation that they fight for. The X-Men are mutants and it's the mutant nation that they fight for. Ever more prevalent, again, with the reflection of the comic books now, where Krakoa is the mutant nation. Uh, mutants now have their own nation and are their own recognized people. That's a huge thing going on in the comic books at the moment. Um, and there are different iterations that have been over the last I don't know, 20 years that you could look at the Astonishing X-Men run uh, of Joss Whedon uh, was absolutely fantastic. And again, brought a bit of popular notoriety to it and got a lot of eyes on the product. And one of the best things that I took away from that, and again, what really pisses me off when I look at some of the films is they missed this. They really missed this. Was the scene, I think it's at the end of the first or second issue. uh, And Wolverine... At this point, they've been going out in their black leather jackets in the new X-Men run of Grant Morrison just before. So they've gone out looking a little bit edgier and kind of black leather, looking all badass. As the X-Men in the original X1, X2 and Last Stand films, they look, they had that black leather look. The new X-Men run of Grant Morrison is where they got that look. At the end of this first or second issue for Joss Whedon, Cyclops presents them all, you know, they shows their uniforms and it's their superhero uniforms. And Wolverine's like, want to go back to this? And he's like, if we're going to be superheroes, let's look like superheroes. And it's that, it's just a beautiful line at the end of that, that issue. And I'm like, 
oh, and then you see the next the next shot is them like walking away towards the blackbird, and they're all in their costumes and stuff like that. Give yeah, me I'm something. Glancing over at the uh, the omnibus edition of that that I've got on the shelf. So <laughs> yeah, it's all. It, yeah, I love that run. It's a great run. That is uh, Whedon and Cassidy. Although I, I do like the Grant Morrison run actually that comes before it, as you say, which I think I probably yeah. borrowed off you. Yeah, uh, th- that's the thing. There have been so many great X Men runs. You go back, and as much crap as there is there, there's also so much good stuff. Such yeah. a rich, uh, you know, rich. There are so many characters. There are so many stories at this point that Marvel literally have their pick of what they want to do. Do something good. Don't rehash the same thing. I don't want another Dark Phoenix saga. They've tried to do it twice and they failed. Guess what? Leave it. Leave it 10, 20 years and build to that as a a natural organic thing. You could have the Phoenix being the cosmic force that it is now, dealing with all the cosmic stuff that is going on uh, within the X-Men comics at the moment. Again, there's there's all the possibilities and things. Mm. That's interesting. So I can see that there is a, a... There are problems when you're trying to adapt that and how you go about it without it just being exposition dumps and montages of mm. characters to try and get general strokes across when they're actually deeper than that, and how do you explore that depth when you're trying to push a plot forwards, and particularly with the modern audience trying to keep pace going so that people are interested and hitting your next set piece that needs to look incredible and things. Um, so yeah, it's it also strikes um, me as an interesting, an interesting dichotomy you've got to try and overcome. It's also opened Marvel up for a lot of other things, the integration between the X-Men universes and, and the main as well, for a number of, of, of reasons and a number of characters and species. The Shi'ar, as I mentioned earlier, a space-based yep. you know, space uh, race who could cause no end of problems for the Guardians or whoever the hell is going to go up there. Um, yeah, it seems tailor-made for the Guardians to run into, don't they, really? Exactly. Uh, the relationship between the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. Uh, again, if, for those who don't know, uh, Susan Storm and, and uh, Ree Richards' son, Franklin Richards, is a mutant. In fact, he's one of the most powerful mutants that has ever been in the comic books. There are links to so many different things that they could build to. Um, do you think they'd have to... Do you think they'd bother rewriting the Scarlet Witch and... Quicksilver. Um, obviously, in the in in the MCU, yeah. they are they got their powers from the Tesseract experiments or whatever, didn't they? But yeah, I mean, you I, could. I believe I'm right in saying they are Maximovs, aren't they? They are well, Magneto it, kids originally. They've they've retconned that recently. That oh, okay. no, apparently they're not. Oh, okay, but it, let's face it: to, to every every DC Marvel fan, they are. We all just think it's a load of bollocks, basically because they were doing the uh, Avengers movies at the same time they were doing the X Men movies, and they had Quicksilver in one and Quicksilver in the other, and they had Scarlet Witch in one and a child version of Scarlet Witch in the other, and they basically went, "We don't want them to be the same, so we're going to address it in the comic books that the X Men versions aren't the same." And they did a whole thing, and it was fucking. Honestly, everybody read it and just went, "Well, this is just a crock of shit." Um, to so answer your question, comic though, books in line with the movies. They tried to, but everybody just did. Everybody just went. We know why you're doing it. We're not buying it. What a crock of <laughs> shit! And they will retcon it again. I'm sure. I hope. Yeah, can, yeah. Because having Scarlet Witch and uh, Pietro uh, as being Magneto's children was a huge character thing for them. Mm. The the House of M and stuff like that all cringed upon, uh, all hinged, sorry, upon that very fact, and that they just 
dump that is 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 annoying. To answer your question, yes, in theory they could explain and say that the X gene wasn't active in this multiverse at the time by fucking around with the Infinity Stones. Guess what? They turned on their X gene. We could get something along those lines. Who's to say at this point? Yeah, very true. Very true. Who knows what a kind of harmonic convergence can cause? <laughs> not, not that I've just watched that one recently. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. That was longer than I was expecting it to be, but yeah, apologies. Nonetheless, no, no, it's you, fine. You I, I, genuinely, I, I, had stuff, get... I thought I'm going to ask Bluff his opinion on this because he's he knows the history of the X Men in the comics, and I'm interested to hear what you would say. Like I say, I, I, I can, you know, it's always difficult making an ensemble, but I don't think you could make an angel film and a, a beast film and a blah blah and a blah, you know, to to get your five originals sorted and then do an x-men film to bring them together it'd be an interesting idea i thought would be whether you can introduce them in bits and pieces through mcu movies Mm -hmm. and then do an x-men where you bring them all together and you've left maybe a couple of their backstories as slightly unexplored but fleshed out the characters some of the other characters a little bit more because then you could have a group of five where you're you know, the plot is based around two of their backstories or something, potentially intertwining even. Or you know, but well, you don't need to worry too much about the other three because you've you've had them fleshed out a little bit in other films that were based so, on other characters. Again, going back to uh, you know, the ultimate universe that, that Marvel created, uh the ultimate Spider Man universe, um and, and comics, they actually integrated um Iceman and Johnny Storm into Spider-Man's family. He, they ended up living with Aunt May. Um, yeah, you know, so there's, there's, again, so we had Fantastic Four, X-Men, and Spidey kind of characters all in Ultimate Spidey, and they, they allowed that integration to occur. So again, as long as it feels organic, I've got no problem with it. Uh, mm. That's the thing. Make it organic. Make it good. Make it good. I think Marvel have probably seen as a disaster that Fox did with the X-Men franchise and when they decided to sell them all of their Marvel properties back, yeah, Disney would probably rub their hands going, we can do better with this. Yeah, hopefully. Leave it to Kevin Feige. I'm sure he'll figure it out. I, after, after you know, 20 years or so now of, of these films, I've got the utmost confidence in him. Same here. He's proven himself time and again, I feel. All right, we'll leave it there for today then, ladies and gents. Um, We hope you enjoyed this one. We shall be back in another couple of weeks with another episode looking at uh, a TV show that we both very much enjoy and have been planning to talk about for quite some time now. So I will leave you with that teasy tidbit and uh, say uh, that I have been Bav. And I have been Fluff. And this has been Screen Masters.